This is the voice of the Report of the Week, signing on. Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening in to today's podcast of VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. Thank you for tuning in. I, I don't know the exact date this is going to be released, but if I had to take a guess, it's either Sunday the 24th of July or Monday the 25th of July 2022. Regardless, thank you for tuning in to this new podcast. Hope everyone out there listening in is feeling and doing all right today. All right, first things first, We have one sponsor, let's get into that, and then into the show. Tired of poor quality fashions that have to be thrown out after just one season? Ecocentric has the high-quality, trendy styles you're looking for. Shop their hand-picked vintage clothing and upcycled fashion accessories. Browse the wide selection of vintage and pre-loved clothing that is much better than stores. Love the way you look and feel. It's the eco-friendly choice that makes our world a better place. All eco-centric items are pre-washed and ready to wear as soon as your package arrives. Easy online shopping and fast shipping with great customer service. Visit Ecocentric and save 15% off your choice of items for a limited time only. Use the following coupon code at checkout. Ecocentric15, that's E-C-O-C-E-N-T-R-I-K-15 at checkout. Remember, that's ecocentric.etsy.com, E-C-O-C-E-N-T-R-I-K dot Etsy, E-T-S-Y dot com, that's ecocentric with a K, Etsy.com. So this new podcast is a longer one. As a preface, I'll say a few things. The bulk of the program has been recorded in segments throughout the month of July. So it may not necessarily be the most up-to-date thing, but at the same time I acknowledge that the vast majority of folks listening will likely be doing so uh, passively. So that doesn't really... it's, It's not of the greatest importance either way. But if certain things seem, I don't know, a little mildly dated, and I'm not even citing any specific examples, I just say that generally speaking, because quite frankly, I don't even know. But if anything does... It's because I was just going off of whatever was being talked about at that given time. Uh, Like I said, this was essentially recorded and edited together piece by piece, bit by bit, over the month of July. For those of you watching the program on YouTube, there are three pieces of fan art featured in the show. I'll give credit where credit is due. The first piece is credited to Will. You could find more of his work at the following website, willhillenbrand.com. Full link is in the description. willhillenbrand.com, H-I-L-L-E-N, 
B-R-A-N-D dot com. Second piece credited to a Twitter user, KettyCat8. That's K-E-T-T-Y-K-A-T-8, the number 8, no spaces anywhere, on Twitter, KettyCat8. Third piece of fan art credited to Grey Sky Man. So thank you all for your lovely fan art. It is much appreciated, and it is my pleasure to share it here on this broadcast. If you are feeling artistically inclined and you'd like to submit a piece of fan art to be featured in this program, process is very simple. Number one, as is the whole point of fan art, in my opinion anyway, have fun with it. Do whatever you want, make whatever you want. Beyond that point, all you have to do is send in the fan art as an email attachment and email it to me at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Only thing I ask is that you please let me know how you would like to be credited uh, in the email. So just say, it could be whatever. It could be by your name. It can be by a social media profile where folks can find more of your work a website. If you'd like to remain anonymous, please let me know. Uh, If you just send in the work, but with no mention as to how you'd like to be credited, uh, by default, you would remain anonymous, because I think that's the safest option in that case. Um, But please let me know. I think it's important you put the time and effort into the piece, so it's important that people seeing the piece, know who did it. So, just take that into account if you send in a piece of fan art, just to let me know. Alright, a few other notes. I say this at the beginning of every program, but it's worth promoting. If you have a shortwave radio, and you are located in Europe, the Middle East, or Asia, please tune in to my radio show. I have that airing that goes out every Friday. It's uh, for listeners exclusively over there. You could tune in on the frequency of 9670 kilohertz. That's 9.670 megahertz. 9670 on the shortwave. Every Friday evening at the time of 7 p.m., Eastern European Summer Time, that's 7 p.m. Moscow Standard Time. That would be 6 p.m. Central European Summer Time, 5 p.m. British Summer Time. I believe that would also be 8 p.m. Samara Time. Remember, 9670 kilohertz on the shortwave. Uh, That broadcast gets a really good signal out to listeners all over Europe. It spans pretty much the entirety of Russia, which is saying something, given the size. Um, But lately, the broadcast has also been propagating into Southeast Asia. I can't guarantee perfect reception there, because 
it's far outside of the target area, but I will say that the amount of feedback coming in from listeners in Southeast Asia who evidently are hearing the broadcast uh, is definitely on the rise. So for some over there, the broadcast is uh, reaching. So if you're located in the Philippines, if you're located in Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, etc., I would recommend trying to tune in as well. Like I said, the reception might not be as good as it is in Europe, but there's been a big increase in feedback from listeners in that part of the world, and some of them will send in audio recordings of the reception on their end, so I could tell that the signal's getting better over there too, which is great, the fact that it's inadvertently uh, reaching South and Southeast Asia. That's fantastic. We're kind of getting two for one out of this broadcast. So uh, if you're there too and you have a radio, because I also know that in some countries their radios just might be a little more commonplace anyway, so if you have one sitting around your house and you can receive shortwave, uh, try tuning in as well. Finally, if you want to support this broadcast, you could always do so with a donation via PayPal to V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. If you like the content and you want to hear more of it, consider supporting it that way. Or you can support it via Patreon, patreon.com slash the report of the week. Now into the show we go. This program, I'll say this up front, it's just going to be a show, a lot of it, if you've listened to this long enough, then you know how it is, there really needn't any explanation, but uh, a lot of it is just a stream of consciousness, it's my my thoughts on things, etc. Just because I'm sharing my thoughts doesn't mean that they're right 100% of the time, so I give that as a disclaimer not looking to pick fights or trying to change any minds or establish that my viewpoint is better than yours, etc., etc. Like I said, it's just me sharing my thoughts, and that's all that there is to it. And let's see, we also mentioned that, of course, the program has been recorded a bit through the month, so it's just going to be how it is. But there's a lot of topics that get touched upon, and I hope at least some of it makes for an enjoyable listen, or if you're going to use this to go to sleep, then sleep tight. Promise there aren't going to be any loud noises. Three hours and 47 minutes, 31 seconds into the show, or any of that, I promise there's not going to be a loud beep at that point. So, enjoy the show. So, the first thing I was thinking about was back in 2020. I remember in the podcasts that I did back then, not that I uh, necessarily made a big deal out of it, but it was just a point that I raised. And I already knew that it was this way, 
But um, it's just one of those things, I guess. I was reminded of it because I was scanning around on the shortwave. Listening around, seeing what I could pick up. And I stumbled across a broadcast of uh, The Voice of America. And I kind of... I kind of uh, laughed, in a way, as I heard it. And it reminded me of what I was talking about back in 2020. Not that this is of any real importance or of any relevance. It's really not. It's just something I thought about. I remember in 2020, I was talking about the VOA. Because the voice of America, what you have to realize, most people in the U.S. don't even know what it is. But it's a U.S. uh, government-funded media network. So it's owned and operated by the U.S. government, and it's funded with tax dollars. Now, before I even go into this, let me ask you a simple question. And I have a feeling that most of us will probably answer the same way. So with the Voice of America, with the understanding that it is a news and media network owned solely and operated by the United States government, then what is your expectation in regards to the content, right, of the broadcaster? I would assume, because this is how I would answer it, but it's not one of those tricky answers. To me, it just seems self-explanatory. I would think that the point of the broadcaster, given that, again, it's a government-operated media network, that it would give, therefore, a pro-U.S. government view and spin to the news, and its coverage would be reflective of the administration, the government administration's policies and viewpoints, right? That it would have a U.S. government spin to things. Does does that not make sense? Does that not seem reasonable? Right? It would be... It would give the U.S. government position on the issues. It would be reflecting the views of the United States government. I don't think that's, that's very difficult to understand. At least it doesn't... It seems, you know, straightforward to me. That's all. So... I was listening to the VOA a couple hours ago, actually. This is recent. It's fresh in my mind. That's why I'm just going to talk about it now. And 
It was essentially exactly that. What I heard, usually this frequency doesn't propagate, so I was scanning around, and the reception was good tonight on my end, so I picked it up. And it was exactly that. All Biden, all the time, essentially. Where, um, they had some person on who was going on and on about how... What was the person saying? I'm just trying... I don't want to misquote anyone. I guess how effective Biden is as president. And as a result, everything in this country right now is better than ever. I think some listening, regardless of your views, I think people on all sides of the spectrum would kind of collectively agree that maybe those um, those statements, you might not interpret them as, as necessarily true. A lot of people um, have a lot of grievances with the way things are. I most certainly do. I'm not going to pretend I don't. And... The polling, I think, reasonably suggests that a lot of people have a lot of problems. However, that coverage didn't bother me one bit, because I thought to myself, well, yeah, the VOA, that, that, that's the point. The VOA is supposed to be essentially U.S. government propaganda, right? That's the point of their existence. So they're doing exactly what I would expect them to. So no surprises there. So that's not what I was kind of chuckling at. Because it was, I thought, yeah, exactly. That's, that's right. That's, that's what I would have expected from the VOA. No, that's not what makes me laugh. What makes me laugh, because now we established the present situation, and so now we got to go back to 2020. And I remember what a... um. It's hard for me to find a non-vulgar word to describe this. I would just say it, but I have a feeling listeners wouldn't like it, so I guess I won't. S-Storm. It was. In, I'd say, mid-2020. When... The new director of the VOA said, we are going to operate this network reflecting the views of the administration. At that point, obviously, it was the Trump administration. And... I think he said, like, the, the ideals of uh, democracy. And that guy got so much flack for that. No, the VOA has to remain impartial. This was the first time I've ever seen these media outlets that ever even acknowledged the existence of the VOA. It's got to be impartial, right? That's what they were saying. It's got to be impartial. No, it can't. It cannot. It would be 
a danger to democracy if the voice of America were used as a tool to reflect the viewpoint of a U.S. government administration in their broadcasts and in their their media. I just remember they kept saying it has to remain fair and impartial. So this guy was demonized and villainized. Now, some of his practices I disagree with. But if one is to go purely off of the argument that he would operate the network with bias, then I refute those arguments. There's some that I'm not going to refute. I'm not even going to touch. That's why I didn't even mention them. It's just that particular claim. As a short wave listener, I mean, I've been familiar with the VOA for years. I mean, since I started scanning around years ago when I started listening to international radio, I heard the VOA. So, I mean, I've listened to it through multiple administrations. And some of their programming was pretty solid. I like some of the music shows they do. They've got a, a history show that they've, they, they have. They've got a program called International Edition, which covers a lot of like evergreen topics in the news, etc. And then again, like what I tuned to tonight, they have some other programs that are more, I guess you'd say, politically charged. But I've listened to them through various administrations, <clears throat> through the Obama administration, the Trump administration, and the Biden administration. And having listened to them very often, they're one of those stations I'll sometimes just leave on in the background. I know what to expect. So when people were saying that it's got to be a certain way, I thought, you know, you have, you've never listened to these broadcasts before, have you? I bet you don't even know what they do. You're just parroting a point that you heard somewhere else, and you're going to say it definitively like you know everything. And in the end, look, we obviously know, I think all of us understand the truth, because media outlets do this on both sides. They do it for the left, they do it for the right. Just depends on the network we're talking about here. They play politics with issues. They take issues that shouldn't necessarily be political, but they make it that way, or they inject their bias. Obviously, they were just going after the VOA in this case because of the administration that was in power at the time. And I just kind of laughed because I thought about what I think the network should do, what I've seen from them for years, the criticisms that I, uh, I heard about the VOA back in 2020, and then after listening to the broadcast tonight, I laughed, I thought to myself, I bet, I, we're, I bet there's going to be a slew of articles about how there's bias at the VOA in 2022, right? <laughs> Oh, God. I hope you saw the sarcasm in that. Of course there's not going to be, because it's people playing politics with stuff. And like I said, they all do it. They all do it. It's just, there's so many examples you could cite about this stuff. Everyone plays this game in media. But I thought this was a rather obscure example that I guess I just have a bit of knowledge on from a shortwave listening perspective. 
and it made me laugh. My complaint isn't about the bias. That's what I'm trying to establish, though. Like I said, I would expect there to be. That's how it, that's how it is. It's a government-funded propaganda network. What else is there going to be? So the point of its existence is to deliver the U.S. government perspective. And yeah, it should change based on the administration. It's got to reflect the administration's point of view. Otherwise, get, then get rid of the VOA. They don't have any point of their existence. There's many other media networks that could replace it and disband it. Put the tax money elsewhere. So, that's my opinion. And like I said, I think that makes sense. It was just funny to see people saying that it's got to be... Just like I said, because they're just playing politics with it. So, makes me laugh. It's as people... You know how it is. They say things... So definitively. They'll make you think that... This is the hill I'm going to die on. But then, with time, it's like you'll forget it even happened. They make you think, like with the VOA situation, these people with these criticisms are the defenders of democracy and free speech. And they have to expose the truth here or else. Where did they all go? If they cared so much two years ago, then where are they? Where, where did they all go? It's obviously, it's because they never cared to begin with. It just makes for an easy story that they can politicize, and they have their reasons. I want to share a few thoughts next about the monkeypox situation. Now, I decided that this part of the show isn't going to be on YouTube. And I made that, I guess that, not distinction, I guess that choice. When I saw the emails that came in, and even after seeing like the first, um, maybe the first two, not that there's a ton of, um, not that there's a ton of emails, there really aren't. There's maybe like six or so. Maybe slightly more, I don't know. But after seeing the first handful, I'll put it at that, I realized, don't even try to put this on YouTube. So I'm not. I'm not even going to attempt it. Now, I always say, when I, when I do these, when I deliver listener opinions... Obviously, the thoughts reflected in these emails aren't representative of my own views, the views of this show, 
the views of the sites this show is carried on. But it's a waste of time to even say that, but said it anyway, like that even matters. I'm sure some people will find there's going to be a mix of, of views and opinions, but you're going to see very quickly a lot of them go uh, a certain way. And I think I'm just going to read the thoughts, and I'm not going to interject anything of my own. We're just going to let the emails speak for themselves. All right, let's take it from the top. Let's read the newest one first. And then we're just going to go back. First things first. Ruben writes, Is mass media bringing less attention to it after a week of talking about it? I know it's out there. Where? Not even on Instagram do I see anything about monkeypox. Maybe it's the algorithm, maybe it's censorship, but I feel like people should be fully aware of the dangers it poses. Thoughts from Ruben. On the subject of media, Kurt writes in, I generally don't think the mainstream media is trustworthy. Most of it is controlled by a handful of big corporations. The question is, who benefits? The facts are of no concern to the media. Their goal is not public service. If monkeypox is being talked about, then I think there's only two possibilities. Possibility one, it's a real threat to public health, a story too big to ignore, or not worth the effort to lie about. Or two, there is power or money to be gained in leveraging it, i.e. postponing or altering elections or an excuse for public suffering as a result of poor governance. Two possibilities there, as seen from Kurt. Third comment on monkeypox comes in from Jake, who's taking a different approach. I believe monkeypox is the scourge of the Lord our God. It is a sign that those living in sin are in error and need to be shown the right path. It is my belief that the less we sin, the closer we come to the Almighty, and the closer we come to maximum individual flourishment. Otherwise, more scourges will befall humanity. So some thoughts there from Jake, who posits that perhaps the monkeypox may be punishment from higher powers. Alec writes in, It is my opinion that the monkeypox infections are very much blown out of proportion considering the statistics. As of June 30th, 2022, there were only 306 confirmed cases in 27 states here in the United States. Since this virus is transmitted by very intimate contact, it has an extremely low infection rate. 306 confirmed cases out of 334 million is a pretty good chance I'm not getting it. That would be a point zero 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 nine one chance that I'm going to contract this disease. Pretty good odds for me not becoming infected 
which reminds me of why I don't put any financial resources into lottery tickets. Low chance of winning. Then again, I guess you could reason that someone has to win the lottery at some point or get this virus, given that the virus seems likely to be transmitted sexually. I won't be going down on random strangers in the foreseeable future, so I reason I'm not going to get an infection. Since I'm not purchasing metaphorical tickets to get monkeypox with risky behavior, it's something I do not wish to win. Thank you for your thoughts. Robert writes in, Monkeypox is just more mainstream media fear porn. You can go down the conspiracy rabbit hole. Red pill or blue pill, the choice is yours. Some short thoughts there from Robert. Checking in. Thanks, Robert. Joe in upstate New York. Started a new job recently. Needed to put in some extra time to get up to speed with my new team. As a result, I haven't been following the news too closely. But as a result, uh, most big stories have still reached me either through my co-workers or just being around other folks in public. Heard about the Roe v. Wade decision, the school shootings, gas taxes, inflation, the stock market, interest rates going up. If monkeypox were serious at all, I think I would have heard more about it by now. News companies would definitely get a lot of clicks and views if people are seriously getting sick from it. Only thing I heard is that it's sexually transmitted. Which, if that's true, it's a lot easier to avoid than COVID. To sum it up, I don't know much about monkeypox, but the fact that I don't know much about it leads me to believe it's not something to worry about. So thanks, Joe, in upstate New York. Some thoughts there. We have two more emails. And then that's it for the monkeypox thoughts. That's why I mentioned that anyone was welcome to write in and send in your thoughts. Uh, This thought writes in as follows. Your question, do you think that monkeypox will be the next big pandemic? My short answer, no. I don't think so, for the reason it is not spread as easily as COVID. How monkeypox is spread during close, intimate sexual contact with someone who has monkeypox lesions. So therefore, it's not exclusively limited to the gay community, as I read in some news articles. So it theoretically could be transmitted through contaminated clothing, towels, and bedding. I do suppose that there will be some new findings to emerge. However, at the same time, I don't want to subject myself to fear-mongering by the media, like I did with COVID. So thank you for your thoughts. And the final monkeypox email... Actually, we got one more. We got one more. Or two more, I guess. So these are the last two, I think. And uh, let's go. Monkeypox strikes me as an attempt to cause hysteria, whether it's the media looking for ratings or something more sinister from a bigger global organization trying to justify its existence. But I'm not afraid of it, and I don't think most people should be. Did you know tuberculosis kills about as many people as COVID? 
and monkeypox is hardly a blip on the radar in comparison. And finally, and this would be the email I have a feeling would be, uh, this would get the show in trouble. I don't care. I'm going to read it anyway. I believe in letting folks share their thoughts. So I'm just going to go for it. And you just have to, because I believe folks have to just use their discretion, but you got to think critically either way. I don't believe in just not saying something because, you know, you shouldn't do this or do that. It goes against the status quo, whatever. So this would be the one that probably would, would this, this would get me in trouble on YouTube, but we're just, we're just going to go for it. That disclaimer out of the way, because we got to give that. This listener writes, Everyone I know believes it's a bioweapon brought on by vaccination. Only those with the jab are infected. At first, I didn't believe it existed, but further research proves that it only shows up in those vaccinated. As people are getting ill, they have to instill fear in order to persuade people to get the booster shots. Sad times, we are in no doubt. So those are some thoughts about the monkeypox situation from that listener. And those are all the monkeypox thoughts we have in this broadcast. Thanks to everyone out there who shared them. It was nice to get some feedback in that regard. Now we'll take a look at the monkeypox situation, and now I'm just speaking myself. So this is my own viewpoint coming through right now. We read the listeners thoughts and just kind of told it like it is, and I just wanted to present the info, and uh, you listening, you gotta make up your own mind. So, now let's look at this situation Now let's see what's being talked about in the news. So first, we are going to open up the news, and let's see where it falls. Now it's not in the top stories. That's true. We're using Google News. A lot of people do that, though. It's a, essentially a news aggregate. Not in the U.S. or world news. But we scroll down. And we go to health news. And at least I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten monkeypox stories. What do the headlines read right now? What do we have? What's at stake in the fight against monkeypox? That's from the New Yorker. Mother Jones says, The U.S. monkeypox response is not going well. Did we learn nothing from COVID? The Daily Beast says, shocking monkeypox. <laughs> the verbiage, you know, I can't say this stuff with a straight face. <sighs> I really can't. I can't. These headlines, you know. 
it. I can't even get the words out. All right, I'll just say it. Shocking monkeypox screw up means we now face two pandemics. And it goes on and on, obviously, though, painting a very serious picture. Things are getting real bad right now with the monkeypox, right? Everyone's getting it. And obviously, for such serious wording, right, we need to have... There needs to be, obviously... People are really suffering with this. I mean, we've got to have packed hospitals and lots of deaths, right? Otherwise, these media outlets, they wouldn't just be playing something up, would they? But let's let's look at how many deaths that there are. And we're going to go right into the source. We're going to take this info straight from the CDC itself. We're just going to dive right in. So let's get these numbers. We want to get the real deal. We want, we want the real numbers. So... This is strange. According to the CDC, okay, well, worldwide, we've got approximately, they would say about 12,000 cases in countries that have not historically reported monkeypox. And in the U.S., there's about... about a thousand cases, the majority of which are, are in the high-population states, you know, New York, California, Florida, D.C., Illinois, about, you know, maybe one to two hundred cases. New York has the most with about five hundred. But here's what gets me. One thing that I know, and I'm not a virologist, nor do I claim or pretend to be, there's no information about hospitalizations whatsoever. And as far as I can tell, because I've been doing some digging, there have been no deaths. Zero. From this outbreak in the, the, the part of the world that doesn't historically report monkeypox. The thing with monkeypox is that it's one of those viruses that's originally... It's historically reported 
in Africa, in countries such as Ghana, Nigeria, Central African Republic, Cameroon, Congo, etc. And there's different strains of monkeypox, and that makes sense. And there's the strain that's in Africa. That's a, it's a rare disease. It happens, obviously, but it's not common. We don't really have epidemics of the original monkeypox. But the original monkeypox that you could get, say, in sub-Saharan Africa, could kill you. It could. And there was a headline, a few headlines that said the other day, WHO, the World Health Organization, reports two new monkeypox deaths, cases in new areas. Now, that gives the implication that we're talking about the outbreak in the West, right? That it is turning fatal, and that would spell bad news. But when you get past the headline, which most people don't, that's the thing. A lot of people read articles through headlines exclusively, which is bad, but everyone does it. So, where did all the deaths happen? All the deaths from monkeypox, which has been three, just three deaths in 2022, are all reported in Africa. So the three deaths that were reported by the WHO as far as I can tell, are not the Western strain. They're reported in the areas where monkeypox usually is, in Africa, where that strain of the monkeypox could kill you. That's what we know for certain. So what's going around in the West, it's obviously got a unique name, monkeypox, right? But from what I can tell, and this is just by the data, the numbers, mind you, we're reading this stuff right from the source. We're not consulting just some unverifiable site. We're just going to dive right in, and we're going straight from the WHO and the CDC. Might be spreading, but it's not hospitalizing people in the West, nor is it killing people in the West. Now, the conclusions otherwise that one can draw, that's for you to decide. A lot of the reports from the WHO do show that the vast majority of cases, the vast, not 100%, but we're talking in, you know, the upper 90s, are among men. And it's believed that it's spread through extremely close contact. In most cases, we're talking about sex with one or multiple partners. So, 
the impression that I'm getting is that from the data available, and this is just my two cents, it seems as though it might be spreading a bit, but it's not killing anyone. It's not putting, it's not filling up the ICUs. And it seems like the degree of contact one would have to be in, that number one, it seems like men are predisposed to it more so than women. The chances are just higher. And the degree of contact you have to be in to give yourself a chance of getting it, it's got to be really intimate. Not saying it's exclusively all men. And it seems like maybe sex is the easiest way to get it. Like like I said, there might be other ways you could get it too. But it's got to be through that very vigorous, close contact. So... It's not... The impression that I've got is that it's not airborne, or at least to an extent where you're going to go into a local coffee shop and some guy waiting online has monkeypox and now you're going to get it too because you were waiting online with this person. It seems like you've got to go through more trouble than just that. So I'm not concerned about it at all. And I think that given the headlines, but you see this sort of stuff with everything, but I think it just solidifies it, that... I think right now they're going the clickbait approach with it. Because mind you, you look at the headlines exclusively, and every headline we've looked at and analyzed makes the situation sound more grave than it is. You know, it makes it sound dire. It makes it sound... makes it sound bad. And, um... That, you know, it's going to be COVID on steroids or something. But that doesn't seem to match with reality. So that's how I see it. But in the end, look, as a listener, this is your life. You know, I don't want to run it. You've got to interpret things as you do. Maybe you'll see it the same way. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll think, I think that this monkeypox is going to end my life if... I don't prepare. If that's how you see it, though, then that's how you see it. Now, on a quick note regarding the monkeypox stuff, again, I'm kind of cutting in and out in terms of what's being recorded finally and what isn't. Right now, it's Sunday the 24th of July. This is the same time that I'm kind of recording the intro to the program, and I just wanted to cut in because the whole monkeypox stuff was recorded... Not quite a week ago, but close to it. Subsequently, the uh, World Health Organization uh, declared it, not a pandemic, but they declared it, I want to get the terminology right, a global health emergency. But again, has anything really changed with the situation besides that? No, it hasn't. Now, I don't... Just the way I see it at this point, realistically, do I see the monkeypox causing 
you know, COVID-style uh, lockdowns, you know, COVID-style mandates, COVID-style economic turmoil. At this point in time, no, I don't, nor would I, from my opinion anyway, and I preface it with saying that, my opinion solely, I don't think it warrants such actions. You know, even such drastic actions during COVID, a lot of it was the result of panic, as we know, and the World Health Organization themselves, you know, they even advised against lockdowns and all of that. But I'll tell you this right now. This might be a bit pessimistic, but I really don't care. I realize if, and just just remember this as you live your life, think about it this way. People can say whatever they want about COVID. And, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But... If the powers that be, let's say they wanted to uh, do a lockdown again, regardless of, you know, whether or not it's justifiable, let's assume that it's not. So it would have collateral damage of sorts. People kind of talk the talk. I see online they say, no, such a thing wouldn't be wouldn't be possible after 2020, you know, after how the COVID stuff went over. So if they tried to do another lockdown, it wouldn't work. No, it would. <laughs> it would. Don't think for a second that, um, that it wouldn't. It could be the most unjustifiable thing in the world but you gotta realize that a lot of people can be easily convinced about pretty much anything. You just have to have the right people to say it, and that's that. So, now if they wanna, if they wanna do a lockdown that's ten times harsher than anything you've seen in, uh, let's say, the the U.S. or even during COVID. Uh, if they want to do, like, a China-style lockdown and kind of weld you shut inside your apartment, they can they can do that, and that could happen because people, I am convinced, can be convinced to go along with that. It's just a matter of, well, for the sake of redundancy, being convincing. That's what I realize. I realize a lot of people, and I'm talking about the U.S. here, but, you know, it's it's a little different country by country, but in, in general, it's like a, I think it's a humanity thing, just how a lot of people are. They'll go with the flow. It's a big herd mentality a lot of the time. Not everyone's this way. You have outliers, but a lot of people will just do what everyone else is doing, and that's that. So that just needs to be established as the status quo, and you'd be shocked. People would be going along with it. And that's that. So don't think that stuff isn't possible. But do I see that happening with monkeypox now?
No, I don't. I just don't. I don't see that happening. But it just it could happen, and people would let it happen. Everyone would. Just don't be shocked. <laughs> That's all that I could say. You get people that say, in regards to a lot of things, that's never going to happen again. Never? Are you so sure about that? Are you just saying something that sounds good? Or do you really mean it? You have so many people that say about so many things, that's never going to happen again. They say in regards to various events throughout history, it's never going to happen again. People wisened up from this and that, and it's never going to happen again. We've got safeguards in place to make sure it never happens again. Yeah, are you so sure about that? I'm not. History does have a tendency to repeat itself. Don't be shocked when some of those things that people said were never going to happen again start happening. That's all that I have. All right, before we get into the bulk of the emails, one other topic that I do want to discuss. In, in the last show that I did, this mostly makes sense for folks who tuned into the last show. And I'm not really going to bother explaining the situation again, because it'll probably take, just knowing how I am, it'll probably take 20 minutes. So this does require the context of the last show for this all to fully make sense, but if you didn't listen to the last one, just bear with me, and um, this isn't going to last for too long. We'll get into the emails next. So... I was talking about the reception issues for the shortwave broadcast to North America in the last one, and I was saying that the signal's just really degraded, it's just been really bad lately, and I mentioned if the problem doesn't resolve, uh, then there's really three options. I've got option one, I could just stay on 5850 kHz those four nights a week, and just with increasingly, with increasing futility, hope nonetheless that things improve. I could switch to the other frequency, 9455 kHz, which will provide improved reception for some listeners, but not for others. I could leave the shortwave completely, or I guess four options, really, not three, but four. Or four, I could move to another station. And while I will not be able to do the show four nights a week, at least I would be able to do it like one or two nights a week with a better signal. And last show, I was saying that I'd probably be aiming to do the show four nights a week. And as a result, move to that other frequency that is just going to be like a real hit or miss type of thing. Well, I've changed my mind and um, the plans have changed. So, I was sitting here earlier this month, 
And obviously I'm not happy with the situation. I don't really know what's going on and I'm not going to publicly speculate. Because I, you know, in the end, I don't know for sure. Um, I just don't want to say things that, you know how it is. I just want to say what I know. And I wasn't happy with how 5850 kHz, my main frequency, has been propagating. And I can't say I was all that happy with how the alternative frequency, 9455 kHz, was doing either. And none of them were really that great. So, earlier in the month, I'm trying to to find the right words for this. They're kind of escaping me at the moment. I guess I'll just put it this way, because there's a word, I'm, but I can't, I can't find it, so we're just going to use alternate vocabulary. Each of these hours, mind you, I'm paying for. So it's not like the shows put me on and pay me or any of that. Every hour of airtime, I have to pay for. So I'm buying the airtime on that radio station. So I'm paying to have my show broadcast. And I guess I'll just break it down like this. If you are paying money to, to have your show broadcast and you're not hearing from anyone, then would you keep paying money to have your show broadcast if it is yielding no results? And I think the answer is obvious. You would obviously say, well, no, right? Why, why would I? If I'm not getting any results, then why am I paying anything? So, earlier this month, one other factor that kind of motivated me to change my mind was how I've been feeling, um, physically, like health-wise, I'm talking. Lately, things have been tiring me out way more than they ought to be, but I don't really want to go there. That's just my problem, you know, and that is what it is. But it was a culmination of all of those factors. I'm paying for this airtime, and the results are subpar. The amount of listener feedback was decreasing exponentially to the point where I'm not even afraid to admit it. I was probably getting like four emails per show, and that's it. And this is something, mind you, you're paying could be $100 an hour for. So you're paying a cost of $25 per listener? <laughs> Here, give me a break. And then, energy-wise, I would just be worn out and exhausted from being at the microphone. And it was that final feeling. It's like, you ever get those moments where you sit there and you ask yourself, what am I doing? You know, what, what, am, I, what am I even doing? What the hell am I doing here? And you ask yourself a question, is it worth it? And sometimes you know that answer. If you're even asking that question, you know the answer sometimes. So I was thinking about just how I've been feeling lately. And then, so I'm doing this to myself 
Finances are variable. The economy is what it is. And I'm burning money, putting myself through this, and it's not even reaching anyone. Then what's the point? What am I even doing? So, I made the decision right then and there. I said, forget this, you know. Immediately, I discontinued all the broadcasts, at least on Saturday and Sunday. So, those are gone. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Because you're not doing it for anything. I thought, if, despite how I feel, if the broadcasts are actually reaching people clearly, and the signals were getting out as intended, like they used to be a couple months ago, despite my energy issues, that would be, you know, that would be motivation enough, and I would say I might not be 100% these days, but the results would make getting to the microphone and doing all of that worth it. But when the results are so incredibly subpar that the only thing you get is you hear from four or five people, all of whom collectively are even saying that they can't really hear you at all, and you say, well, I'm doing this, I'm paying this, and I'm not really reaching anyone, then what am I even doing here? So, I thought, cancel. And just take the weekends off. So that's what I'm doing. And the best part, though, it's kind of funny is that when I stopped doing the weekend shows on the shortwave, I almost got no feedback from suddenly discontinuing the show. So that tells me that no one was even listening to begin with because no one noticed. Like, one or two people noticed, but almost no one did. So I thought, there's no sort of real mass protest to listen. This confirms my suspicion that the bad signals on the shortwave have made really any audience size non-existent. Now, I think that there still are listeners on the shortwave in North America, but I don't think that the resources I've been using can adequately reach them at this point in time. So it's not like I'm giving up on the shortwave, but I don't think in its current form the broadcast is effectively reaching anyone, pretty much. So there's that. Going forward... I'm probably going to discontinue the other two broadcasts, too, Thursday and Friday. I'm probably going to get rid of all of it. And I feel like I'm at the point where I've got to wipe the slate clean and start over from scratch. Because I think it's essentially an unsalvageable situation. The good news is that I am in talks with that other station. And I've had good experiences with them, signal-wise. They, they do a good job. So, I'm in talks. I'm going to go with something. 
but I'd rather have one show a week that gets a clear signal out to any and all potential listeners in North America. And at least I know that the time, money, effort put toward that show is well spent, as opposed to doing four shows for nothing. You know, I'd rather put it all at this point in in one show, but at least know that it gets out. So I've made up my mind. That's what I'm going to do. You know, is the reach of the broadcast just purely by the numbers, the amount of hours per week, the amount of frequencies, etc., to North America going to be drastically reduced next month? Absolutely. You're probably going to have a reduction. I'm probably going to be getting rid of... It depends on how far I decide to go, but I would say anywhere between 50 and 75% of my broadcasts. But when you look at the raw numbers, because that's the only quantifiable thing we can go off of these days. If many of you were in my shoes, you would have done this already. I know that some people might not really like the sound of it just because, you know, this is something that I talk about and promote, etc., etc. But it's done for a reason. That's, that's all that there is to it. Now, one reason I purposefully have kind of been quiet about this is because, this is just psychologically speaking, if I made public even the mere prospect of reducing things, people are automatically going to then write in and try to convince me otherwise, but it's going to skew the response. So see, I don't want that. I just wanted the information from people and try and figure out who's actually listening right now, you know, without any motivation. So that's how I was able to kind of figure the reach or lack thereof of these broadcasts and then make a better choice. So, that's what I decided to do. So I think going forward, I mean, in August, I might, what I might do, it might be a gradual process. I have a feeling at the end of July, I am going to get rid of the Friday, so right now, you can hear the show Thursday and Friday. I think at the end of the month, I'm definitely going to get rid of the Friday one. That's definite. At least on 58.50 and 94.55, and along with that, the Saturday and Sunday shows will, be, will remain gone. And then with the money I'd be saving from that, I could put that money toward two things. Number one, I'm going to put it toward the other station to get things back on track. And number two, I'm going to put it toward the broadcast to Europe. Because that airing... It's like, despite everything that's been going on with the broadcasts to North America, you know, bad signals, no listeners, etc., 
you've got the exact opposite through the broadcast to Europe. Outstanding reception pretty much across half, if not three quarters of the entire world. We're talking excellent signals. And an absolute plethora of feedback as well, which is really how they all ideally, I wish they all could be this way, but they're not. But that broadcast right there is motivation enough to get to the microphone, you know, and I enjoy doing that one. That's the thing I look forward to each week these days, radio-wise, because at least I know the results of that are going to be good. And the conversion rate between euros to dollars is pretty solid right now. So I'm also going to take some of the money that I'll be saving, and I'm going to put it toward that too, because that's a broadcast that I'm keeping that one going, no matter what. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but I've, I've got to make cutbacks. And there's no other way around it. I have to. So... That's what we have, but not the decision. I wish I wish I didn't have to make this decision, but it's a situation that's out of my control. I can't magically make the reception better. If the signals all of a sudden got better and stayed better, that might be one thing. They haven't, though. And the other thing that's worrying, even if the reception suddenly improved, is the consistency factor. How do I know that the reception on this station that I've been using is going to stay this way? Because I've been with them for five years, and then two and a half months ago, just like someone flipped a switch, the reception totally went down the tubes, for no apparent reason, and stayed that way, how do I know that's not going to happen again? And I buy the airtime by the month, so they get a bulk payment, a big payment, at the beginning of every month. How do I know that I don't pay for August, and then five days into the month, it happens again, right? We don't know. So that lack of consistency is worrying to me, and it's just not a risk I'm willing to take at this point. So that's another reason why I think those reductions make the most sense, if you ask me. So, until I can get some sort of um, definitive schedule, right, with the with the broadcast, I mean, if you want to get a radio, get a radio, if you're in the U.S. or Canada. Um, proceed at your own risk. That's all that I'll say. I'm not going to be all gung-ho about this stuff anymore. However, if you're in Europe and you want to get a radio, or if you're in Russia, or the Middle East, or South Asia, or Central Asia, get one. Get a radio, because I'm not... My broadcast will be heard there. Most definitely will be. And I have 
the full intention of long-term investment in that broadcast. So if you want to get a radio and you're in those areas, by all means, because I think that you're definitely, you're going to be able to hear the broadcast. So don't worry about that. North America, um, like I said, proceed at your own risk. I'm not going to say get one anymore. If you want to, then do it, but I wouldn't... I'll tell you this. I will explicitly advise against getting, like, a $20 shortwave radio if you're in the U.S. in hopes of hearing my show. Don't do that. Just save the 20 bucks. You know, that's what I say. If you want to get a nicer radio, then maybe go for that and enjoy what's left of the medium while it's still there. This proves to me, though, this whole experience, just another reason, you know, in uh, conjunction with many others, why this medium is dying. And we've talked about this on long extended lectures, because we know that there's a, a bunch of reasons why shortwave broadcasting is dying and has been, right? A lot, of, a lot of factors, but this is just one more that I can add to the list. We've got the proliferation of the internet and smartphones. That's the biggest reason why it is, because what's the point of international broadcasting over shortwave when you could just listen online. So that's the biggest thing. Likewise, you have increasing interference. More and more devices um, generate electrical interference, like this microphone of mine generates interference. My laptop charger generates interference. Um, the air conditioner generates interference. My cell phone charger generates interference. I have this um, insect thing outside, and when that's plugged in, that generates interference too. Now, if I unplug all of this stuff, the reception is going to be totally fine. But a lot of people aren't even going to think to do that, and if you don't, the reception is going to be quite bad. So when there's more and more interference and people either, you know, either don't know or don't want to go through the trouble or are unable to go through the trouble to reduce radio interference, if you have this loud, artificially generated static that's going to impede reception, then it's going to make existing broadcasts harder to hear. Then another reason why the medium uh, is dying, those are the main two. But another reason is when shortwave radio was popular, it was mostly popular decades ago. So it, it started getting very popular in the 1920s, and it remained popular um, up until the late 90s. And that kind of coincides with the internet. So, 
you can't say that it's actually as a medium has been doing, you could even start saying it was in decline by the late 90s. So we're already talking at a minimum, probably 22, 23 years ago, at an absolute minimum. And even then, most listeners were adults. So a lot of listeners are older and they're dying off. And that's another reason, you know, fewer and fewer. There's way more listeners dying off than there are uh, listeners entering the medium. Though I will admit, you know, sometimes it is quite fun to uh, reach the older demographic through shortwave. Like, there was one response I got a month or so ago uh, from the broadcast to Europe, and there was this one guy who wrote in, and he said that he's in his 90s at this point, and well into his 90s and started listening to the shortwave. I think it was either in the late 1930s or the very early 1940s. And just the fact, just to imagine that this guy started listening to the shortwave, he was able on his radio to pick up broadcasts from Nazi Germany. And... In the present, there he is writing an email listening to my radio show. Isn't that crazy? That's just like, that's cool to think about, at least to me anyway. But obviously, listeners in that age bracket, um, you know, sadly, those generations are only getting smaller and smaller. And then another reason is you're in this positive feedback loop. And I always have to explain that a positive feedback loop is not a good thing, despite how the name sounds. It's when you're in a repeating situation that just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and it's an endless cycle. But it's called a positive feedback loop. I know the name is confusing, but it's just what it's called. And anyway, the medium is trapped in this irreversible positive feedback loop where... The number of stations is in decline. So when the number of stations is decreasing, the amount of listeners, because they have less and less to listen to, keeps going down, and for the other factors too, obviously. So the amount of listeners declines. As a result, the remaining stations don't have as many listeners, so some of them have to leave then the amount of listeners will decline more because there's less on the air, which means fewer listeners in turn for the remaining stations, which means some of them are now going to have to go off the air because they don't have a large enough audience to sustain themselves. And then with their, uh, with their leaving the airwaves, then more listeners are going to leave and more stations are going to leave and more listeners... You know, you see how this is just a positive feedback loop that it gets stuck in. And that's been going on for the last 20-something years now. And another reason that now I've experienced in the last few months, there's issues going on 
where some of the signals anyway are reduced in strength for some reason and the finite number of existing listeners despite the fact that they're not going anywhere and are eager to listen physically cannot be reached with the existing resources in their reduced state so that's why I have to make these reductions not like I'm doing this out of spite or because it's just the situation but I'm still a proponent of the medium I still like it, I'm still going to stick with it but I'm not doing the four shows a week anymore because it's not worth it my goal, I think, from now on, maybe to do two shows a week at this point. Heck, if I get a good opportunity from the other station, maybe I'll do three. I don't think I'm going to do four anymore. Two sounds like a good idea, but maybe three. If I could do three shows, I'll do three. Right now, you know, in the month of August, we might start things off with one show a week on the shortwave. And the broadcast, of course, to Europe. But this is mostly just for North America. And we'll start off with the one, see how things go, see where funds are, see where the listener response is, and kind of build up from there. We'll see. We'll see. Either way, just things have to change from where they are now. And they already are. So, I have a feeling that the next show that I do, the next podcast, I'll have more of an update for you in that regard but that's just what it comes down to now on another note I guess it's on in regards to two stations bad news um, but it's no surprise you know this just is what it is with um, the state of the medium but I like giving a little update on international broadcasting from time to time. Two uh, international broadcasters seem to have left the airwaves, so I think... I don't know, we'll see. But for the last few years, it's kind of been... most of the stations that have been broadcasting on the shortwave still have kind of been here to stay. But I'm noticing more starting to leave. So I'm wondering if kind of the decline is... It seemed like it plateaued for a bit, but it might be ramping up again. But I have a feeling at this time, if it ramps up, then that's this is going to be it. And um, by the time things plateau, there's not really going to be anything worth listening to anymore. But we'll see. But in the last month... Two stations left the airwaves, um, both of which I listened to, and it's a shame. Uh, The Voice of Greece, they have... We talked about them a couple months ago, but they have discontinued all broadcasts. So they are gone. Uh, They were last heard in mid-June. They were granted a short-term reprieve for two months, but that was it. So, they are gone. They're they're done. They've been gone for about the last month. So, they are no more. The voice of Greece 
is gone. And likewise, this hasn't gotten the same amount of coverage because this station has gotten a bit harder to hear. And there was no sort of announcement. They just disappeared one day. Seems like the voice of Nigeria is gone as well. But their equipment hasn't been in the best state for the last few years. In 2013, they originally mentioned that they upgraded their transmitting setup and they had three brand new transmitters. That was in 2013. But from as far as I can tell, if that's the case, I think that there was some sort of... I think someone might have scammed them, or maybe it was their own government that was messing around with the funds. Because as far as I can tell, of those new transmitters, only one was ever on the air. So I'm not even entirely convinced. I can't find any proof that there were ever actually three new transmitters. I think that, I don't know, I just can't find a shred of existence that remotely proves um, that there were ever three new transmitters installed. I know that at least one was, but anything more, I can't, um, I can't say. And I only ever saw one of those new transmitters actually on the air. And of those new transmitters, that one hasn't been on the air for years, for probably like three or four years at this point. So you might be saying, well, then what else are they broadcasting with? Well, they had an old transmitter that... How, now, you might say, how can you tell the difference between an old transmitter and a new one? Because their old transmitter had this very distinctive um, issue with it where the signal might be strong. I mean, there was like 250,000 watts, so it's a pretty strong transmitter. But in the background, it had this whining sound that it sounded like, you know, the sound effect of like a bug flying around by your ear, that high-pitched whining sound, like a mosquito flying around or something. It sounded like that perpetually in the background. So as long as that transmitter was on, you had this whining noise behind the audio. And that was the distinct issue um, of their old transmitter. So you could tell it was the old one when you heard that whining noise. And that was the first thing. So whenever I would tune in, I would always hear that noise in the background, so I knew that was the old transmitter. Then in 2018, they had another issue... Um, they had this antenna that could rotate around. And for a shortwave station, that's actually a really good idea. Where, um, it makes sense, because if you want to target uh, different parts of the world, wouldn't it make sense that, let's say you've got a shortwave station in Nigeria, wouldn't it make sense that if you want to beam your signal to other parts of the world, you could just have one antenna that you could rotate around, rather than building 10 antennas. It's, it's a cost-saving measure, but it works. So if they want to target the Middle East, they could just rotate the antenna a certain number of degrees, 
and face it toward the Middle East, and then the signal will broadcast over there. Or if they want to target Europe, you know, it'll turn over there and broadcast there, or to North America, etc. But the thing is, and this makes sense, if something is going to rotate, and it's going to have to, you know, essentially, it's going to have that point. Because the way that it works, essentially, it's like this big mast within these little things jutting out of it. And um, so it's got that point in the center, you know, that it rotates around. I know there's a technical word for it, but again, it escapes my mind. I don't think it's a pivot. I don't think it's that, a pivot point. But, you know, there's this point in the center that it rotates around. That makes sense. But what happened was... And this happens occasionally. If you don't use something, especially if it's in a certain climate, and you don't take care of it, rust is going to be a problem. So they had this rotatable antenna. And they hadn't used it in a while. They would just broadcast, like, on a fixed um, angle to a certain part of the world. Well, back in 2018, they decided to rotate it for the first time in years. And it turned out that because of the disuse, it kind of had some rust on it at the base where it's got to rotate. So what happened? They start rotating the thing, and then it breaks. And instead of targeting the certain area that they wanted to, the antenna became stuck facing... Uh, North America from Nigeria, which, I mean, I can't really complain. That's great for me. But for the listeners they were trying to target, that's horrible news. And they never fixed it. I suspect that they just didn't have the money. So from 2018 onward... Sorry, I had to check something with the microphone, so I I had to pause it temporarily. I didn't mean to, so I'm sorry if my train of thought is slightly disrupted, but as I was mentioning, so the antenna got stuck in the direction um, to North America, and like I said, that was good for me as a listener because their reception suddenly improved, but for everywhere else, because normally they wouldn't really target North America. So this was great for me, but... For everyone else who would normally listen, that's horrible. And they could never, they never fixed that issue. Um, I suspect they didn't have the funding, or, or it just wasn't... Like I said, I don't know how they managed things. I don't really know. I don't know if, I, I don't know if they necessarily ran a tight ship over there. I wouldn't necessarily say that they did. But anyway, the, um... So they would broadcast, I would usually pick them up at night. That's when I would get the best signal on 7255 kilohertz. But most of the languages that I would pick them up in, um, it would be very clear. But they would mostly, I would be getting their services in Hausa, which was supposed to be domestically for Nigeria. I was... uh, getting their broadcast in for full day language, mostly listeners in uh, Cameroon, Chad, and Sudan, 
I was also getting their broadcasts, and I might butcher this name, but I think it's the Yoruba language, which is mostly, for listeners, again, domestically in Nigeria. And I would also get the broadcast in uh, the Igbo language, again, mostly for listeners in Nigeria. So these were the domestic services that instead were reaching all the way over to the U.S., And they did have an English service, but it would start coming in at around 4 a.m., and uh, at that point, the signal would start fading out. So it was mostly in these um, languages that obviously were not meant for a shortwave audience in the U.S. And uh, anyway, they haven't been heard in months. There wasn't any announcement. They just disappeared from the airwaves one day. But one thing you gotta note, when that usually happens with shortwave stations, they don't usually come back. They're just gone. I'm gonna check right now. I'm gonna let's check for the voice of Nigeria. There's an online receiver in the Canary Islands. And they're supposed to be on the air right now. I'm going to check two frequencies. So, at the very least, this should get a trace of a signal. So, looking at this frequency, what do we have? It's just static. And the other one, which they were last heard on, is very obviously a station from China. So, there's that. So... Just a state of things, and uh, we'll see long term what's going to happen. For the remainder of the broadcast now, we're going to be switching things over to the mailbag portion of the program. I won't give an extended introduction, it's really self explanatory. The remainder of the program is dedicated to reading and responding to listener emails. This part of the show is completely and totally free form. So it's very simple. All you have to do is send in an email to the following email address, v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com with questions, comments, topic suggestions, things you would like to share, and I'll respond to it in the next program. It's very simple, very freeform, and uh, really just just listen in, give a listen to some of the emails that you'll be hearing in this broadcast if you're kind of perhaps short of inspiration, uh, get a feel for things, and then go from there. But it usually makes for a fun segment. You get a little bit of everything. There's always that variability So again, I'll say it once more, V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the remainder of the broadcast. This is V-O-R-W. All right, and as we always do, for some reason I always start the recording process without actually organizing anything. I don't know why I do this. No one ever says anything about it, good or bad, which I guess could be interpreted as a good thing, but 
At the same time, I'd assume it to be, I don't know, mildly annoying, perhaps. Who knows? Maybe there's someone out there that actually they listen to the show just for this. <laughs> Who knows? All right, anyway. Let me open up the email here. Well, let me take a sip of water first. I guess we need that, right? We gotta be hydrated. Oh, that was some good sipping. That was some good sipping that went on right there. Boy, that was, uh... That was some sipping to behold. All right, let's uh, take a look. What do we have? What do we have? Well, first, I guess I did say I was unprepared, didn't I? All right, I did the last show. It was on the 26th. But now that we know that, <coughs> it's better to organize. All right. Good, good. All right, here goes. The Panda 6400 writes, uh, number one, I should add, it's good to hear from you. Anyway, you write, last podcast, someone in an email mentioned cryptids and how they want it back. And I would agree, I enjoy the paranormal experience episodes. I don't remember if you answered this question. Do you think there will be any more episodes of that nature again? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, that's, uh, yeah, I enjoy those topics, and, uh, given that it's my show in the end, and, uh, and that's about that, yeah, of course, I have no one to answer to with this program, so I'll be more than happy to do, uh, more programs with the, uh, paranormal stuff, so, certainly, not a problem there. Email comes in next from Socrates, who writes, <laughs> I wanted to know your thoughts on protests and riots. Do you think they actually solve issues? All I see is civil unrest that lasts a couple of weeks, and then everyone seems to forget about it. I don't see anything being solved by doing this except big companies <laughs> pretending to care and protect their image. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for your question there. I mean, number one, you have these idiots these days that seem to think that rioting is uh, just how a protest should be. You know, I guess I'm just not one of those people. But ever since 2020, especially, you've got these people that assume that just because you feel strongly about something, I guess it's justifiable to uh, go out and loot and uh, burn buildings and people get hurt, people get killed. But it's not their fault, right? They're just protesting. <laughs> you know, disagree with that stuff. I get why it needs to be cracked down on. It doesn't... You think you think the people that are, the, that are destroying these communities, you think most of them actually live there? 
or are they doing it to a place that they don't really uh, give a damn about? The very least, they're probably not destroying a part of their community that they frequent. It's not their house that's getting ravaged, not their local grocery store that's going to be irreparably destroyed and won't be able to uh, survive economically. Not their problem. Not their problem. Now, problem is that you get people that fall for this stuff. That's that's the issue, you know. Now, I don't have a problem if people want to demonstrate something peacefully and orderly. And for some people, they see it as like a left-right issue. Well, you can demonstrate these issues, but you can't demonstrate those issues. Now, uh, look, if someone wants to demonstrate this, that, or the other thing. It's got to be an orderly and civil process, though. And, uh... That's the way it should be. I don't have a problem if people want to try to... Now, do you think your voice is actually going to get heard by doing any of this stuff? I don't think so. I think this stuff is just as useful as petitions are, quite frankly. Um, because you got to understand that high up, there's lots of vested interests and uh, things that I think get pre-planned and pre... the decisions already get made. People can complain all they want, but uh, in the end, it's just going to play out as it does either way. So, I think it's one of those things... If you listened into the last show that I did, um, I think it's... If you remember the answer that I gave for the petitions... I think it's got the usefulness of that. It doesn't really make a uh, make a difference. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is that there's got to be a clear distinction between an or- or- orderly, organized, and civil protest versus a riot. Once things start getting violent, once the fights start, once the looting starts... Once the arson starts, you name it, that stuff has to be cracked down on, and uh, it has to be stopped uh, immediately. So, no, that I've never... You know, where people say, well, what about this? What about that? No, no, uh, no exceptions. Once you start making exceptions, you go down a very slippery slope. So, in my opinion, my view of it is absolute. And, uh... That's going to be that. So, I've never supported riots or any of that. I think it's just a degeneration of things. I think you have uh, people who know exactly what they're doing, who are exploiting a bunch of useful idiots with uh, those sort of things when situations turn to that. Sometimes it's done higher up. Sometimes it's done just by low-level thugs. But either way, it's... uh, The outcome winds up being the same, and the people who suffer the most from all this stuff aren't the people that uh, these folks are all riled up about and are uh, protesting, or in that case, rioting against. No, it's the local community, often uh, earnest, decent, hardworking individuals whose livelihoods and neighborhoods and areas, you name it, are uh, trashed and destroyed by a bunch of very selfish people who either A, are so clueless they don't know any better, or B, 
they know, and they just don't care. So, uh, I make that distinction, but in the end, my view is that I don't think it really makes a difference. It's not going to change anyone's, uh, not going to really change anything. And uh, the people who make the actual decisions most certainly aren't going to change because of a protest. And I'll tell you this, if they do change their mind, there's more involved, and usually it's, usually it's money, um, but sometimes other prospects as well. But uh, that's what actually changes minds sometimes. Sometimes. But riots, no, uh, no place for, in my opinion. And again, you know, who suffers? Usually the people, uh, unintended, unfortunately, people who don't deserve it. I don't know. Like I said, you know, in a couple, uh, maybe in a previous show or not, sometimes I feel like you're supposed to say certain things. I feel like I'm supposed to either not answer the question or I'm supposed to go on about how, how much I, uh, I like rioting, but, uh, I don't care anymore. Maybe I gave the wrong answer, so be it. Thank you, though, for writing in. I have nothing against you. It's just a topic that, uh, had some thoughts on there. All right. Question comes in from Santo, listening in from Orlando. All right, Santo, good to hear from you. I've uh, been listening to the new podcast. Just want to say, it seems very true about uh, what you said about the North American broadcast. I've Ever since I got my radio, I've had issues with so much interference that I often just listen on TuneIn. It makes no sense. Hope the station can clear that up because it's sad you don't get the listener amounts you deserve from it. Uh, you have a second part of your email, but I'll interject first. Uh, thank you for your thoughts, by the way. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Nothing's really... I've been having some conversations with some... with some listeners who, uh... I don't want to say anything that's mere speculation, but, um... I just have a few theories of my own, and I'm going to give it another month, and then uh, we're going to go from there. So, it is what it is. The listenership is definitely reduced, though. There's no doubt about that. You know, the one thing that I always mention in terms of the short way of the way that it works is you never have any analytics, you know? So, like, when you're... That's one of the biggest differences. If you're streaming something, even if it's on TuneIn or whatever, or uh, you're live streaming, etc., on any platform, you know, you have the detailed analytics. It's like with the podcast, I have the detailed analytics there. I could see the amount of listens online, and you could even see some of, like, the countries and states and all that that listen in, and you get exact numbers. It's like you could tell, all right, Let's say last week's show reached, uh, maybe across all the platforms, you know, 40,000 people. I have those numbers in front of me, right? 
When it comes down to the short wave, there's none of that. So the only way that I know that there's even anyone listening in is by, do they reach out to me? So the only people I know that actually listened are those who email in, and that's it. There's no other way to uh, to know there's an audience, which is great and all, because it actually means that the listeners have anonymity, and isn't that a rare thing these days? But as a broadcaster, you have to know that you're getting you're getting your money's worth and that you're actually reaching people. So that's the other thing. But um, you are also right. I wanted to pose a question based on what you've talked about in previous episodes and the recent podcast uh, with where you think America is going, uh, i.e. not a good place, uh, increasing hostility, political polarization, etc. What do you think of people taking up alternative ways of living in face of that? Uh, There's a big trend of people who want to live a self-sustaining existence, or those who do van life, etc. The reason for this is, I'm sure people who are discontent with how it is and want a better path for their own lives, it's always interested me. I could see myself uh, trying it if I get the resources to, someday. Obviously, most people can't, but uh, what do you think of the movement some people are taking toward this? So thank you, Santo. Good email there. Oh, I get it. I get it. I haven't, you know, the ability to do it. I wouldn't consider myself of uh, adequate resourcefulness to do either of those things. But I certainly get it. I think that it's one of those things that if someone is going to go for it, uh, they got to know what's in it, and they really got to do their research. And you got to look up the good, but don't get swept away in overly positive, um, essentially fantasies and idyllic portrayals of these things. Look up the bad, too, and you got to realize these situations are going to have their benefits, and their drawbacks. But for me, does one outweigh the other? And do I think, do I sincerely think that I can do this? And can I do this without harming anyone else? Or if things go south, bringing anyone else down? I feel if you then feel confident and comfortable, and the answer to that was yes, and I don't think I'm going to hurt or harm others by doing this, then if that's what you want to do, then go for it. But I certainly get the appeal for living off the grid. And like I said, sometimes I wish I were more capable, and I could just go get a plot of land somewhere, and even just live humbly, but I just go off the grid. Sometimes I wish I could do that and just kind of disappear. That would be... uh, That'd be pretty nice, but uh, I understand what I'm capable of doing and what I'm not. That's why I'm not doing that, all right? But that's still, that's not to say it's something that I don't think about. So that's uh, my take on that. But you just got to know what you're in for, and then it comes down to, well, do I think that this is something that I can do? So uh, there you have it with that.
JD checks in. Uh, Post-pandemic, life is steadily going back to normal. However, as we know, many businesses have ultimately failed to recover. The other day, as I was driving around town, I discovered that my local family fun center uh, slash pizzeria has officially gone out of business and is being prepared to be demolished due to the pandemic. Same thing, th- same thing can be said for numerous Chuck E. Cheese locations around the city I live in. I'm curious to know your experiences and perspective on entertainment uh, centers slash pizzerias. The combination of pizza and forbidden singing animatronics does not sit well with me, just saying. Wishing you nothing but the best, JD. Thanks, JD, for writing in. Isn't it sad the COVID situation and all of that has uh, really done a number on so many local businesses? It really has. And one thing that some people will admit, you know, others won't, but I still think is truth to it either way, is uh, a lot of the restrictions uh, definitely... They did a lot of harm, especially to the local uh, businesses. A lot of the lockdowns just killed these poor places. I've seen, with my own eyes, um, some of the differences. And whether people agree or disagree with the politics, I'm just sharing my observations. I've seen the differences between Florida, which is a very tourist-driven state, All right, they have a lot of businesses, be that big chain places and local businesses that are reliant upon tourism. And I see the difference firsthand between that and how things are in New York and uh, New Jersey. And Florida, again, whether people agree or disagree with the decision, that's not what this is about. Florida opened up the state months before New York and New Jersey did. But what do I notice? There's a few businesses that didn't survive in Florida, but up in New York, the amount is much higher. And uh, it's just sad to see. It's very sad to see. All these local places that, you know, I used to go to when I was was young, and I uh, have fond memories of, you know, you now see these dark, uh, gutted, Husks. Sad to see that. It's just depressing. What more can you say? And, uh, yeah, COVID, it just... A lot of stuff did a number, you know, people and... A lot of fears and cautions that they might have had that hurt. The economic situation. Having the businesses closed. A lot of these places just barely getting by and that just will do them in. It's just unfortunate. What else can you say about it? But, uh, regardless of that, those family fun centers, like the Chuck E. Cheese type of places, I mean, I think that they're, uh, I think that they're all right for the kids, you know? When I get my pizza, I like to just eat it without any sort of singing animatronics. That's just how I am. That's just my preference. I, uh, I prefer to eat my pizza without some guy in a rat suit accosting me. But again, that's just my preference. I know plenty of kids, 
at least used to like Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know how it is anymore, but when I was uh, a kid, you know, it was, place seemed pretty busy. And, uh, it's just, you know, it's for a certain demographic, not me. Not someplace I would go. I, I didn't really have any interest in that when I was a kid either, but there's some people that that's their thing. Good excuse to get the kids, I guess, out of the house and let them run around and do their thing, and I guess for the parents to socialize and eat some pizza. So, I mean, I get it. Not for everyone, but it's it's got its place. Makes sense to me. I remember a few years ago, there was the thing about the Chuck E. Cheese pizza, and some people said that they felt that it, um... that they were reusing the pizzas, so if someone didn't eat all the slices of the pizza, then, uh... They would put them in a box with the other pizza slices and eventually make a, a pizza out of all of the uh, all of the unused or uneaten slices and say it's a new pizza. I believe it. I, I believe it. You got places out there these days that uh, they keep cutting back and cutting back and cutting back. And I think that the problem with a lot of these places, the way their strategies are, is they want to do the absolute bare minimum. And I think they only run the numbers, and they see, well, if it makes money, then what do we care? It's like, you see, I, I saw this the other day. I was comparing the staffing that I observed at a local Wendy's, versus a local Chick-fil-A. And it strikes me as two different chains with two different approaches. The Wendy's had this long line around the building, but the line was barely moving. And it was mostly moving because cars were getting uh, fed up. They didn't want to deal with the weight anymore, so they would pull out. So then people would move up to fill the space. So it had this massive line and I saw that they only had uh, two employees working there, one of whom didn't really seem to care very much and was like zoned out. And the other was this older guy who I felt bad for. He was like doing everything. He was taking the orders and trying to make the food and run the food, etc. And uh, so it was slow because they had this one guy there pretty much doing, uh, doing the jobs that you should have a half dozen people doing. Now, then you look at Chick-fil-A, they've got, like, 15 people working there. They've got guys who even just uh, manage the traffic in the parking lot, people who take the orders, someone at the drive through window who will uh, essentially run the food. You've got the cooks, you've got people who do the cleaning, uh, cashiers, etc. So when you have this whole team of people there, Chick-fil-A will have a line with double the cars that the Wendy's does. But if you got at the tail end of that line, you would be in and out with your food many times faster than what Wendy's would take. So let's say Wendy's, you'd probably be in line there for uh, 45 minutes. Chick-fil-A, you'd be in line there for maybe... 10 minutes or less. 
and the food would be better too, better quality. So I think places like Wendy's, and you have all these chains that do it. It's not just Wendy's. You got Burger King, Taco Bell, McDonald's, etc. I think they just want to see what's the absolute lowest we could take things and still get people to uh, give us their money. Chick-fil-A will say, we want to do the experience right. And uh, you see the difference. It shows. So that's just my... uh, my take there. What was, what was I even getting with that? Wasn't this an email about family fun centers? I don't know, something about cutting back, I guess. Any, oh, yeah, I was talking about the uh, pizza situation and about um, Chuck E. Cheese, that's right. Yeah, that's why, that's why it wouldn't surprise me, because you have these places that are so financially driven they couldn't give a damn about quality because they know that they'll still make a profit and that's it they don't care it's not like the way it used to be where places actually took pride uh, in their work and cared about the customers and wanted and were determined to give you a good experience and make a repeat customer they don't care about that anymore they say well let's give them the bare minimum and see if they come back so that's just how i see it anyway all right this next email well, it has two questions, um, but the first question, it seemed awfully familiar. So I quickly paused things, and I looked through the email, and I actually see that we we had at least two other emails with the exact same question. So I don't know if it was actually, if it's just coincidence, or uh, maybe someone said, if we all write him with this question, maybe, uh, I don't know. Who knows? I'm not saying that it was a concerted effort. Either way, it, do- it doesn't matter. It's totally innocuous. But it was interesting. It was just an interesting observation. Uh, we had... Oh, the first came in from Sabrina. That was the first inquiry. And the second one of this nature... Came in from Ethan. And the third... Came in... And this is the third one had the two... The two questions. The third inquiry came in from Tyler... In... Southern California. Said he's a college student. Uh, So anyway, to all... Three of you and anyone else wondering... You all wanted to know about the average day video... And there's no good way to say this, but um, I guess just to say it, I mentioned this in a show that I did uh, around New Year. Maybe it was in December, but I'll say it again. The average day videos are over. That's uh, It's never going to happen again. And I have to explain why, because obviously the interest is there. You have to understand that I never liked doing the average day videos. Um, I never liked doing them one one bit. Uh, they weren't something... I first started them years and years ago, but with time, things change, and the things that uh, we like to do sometimes change. Our preferences uh, do change. We obviously know in life, in life some things remain... Uh, the same, but other things certainly are uh, 
are more fluid, and that's one of those things. Over the years, I uh, really stopped enjoying them, and I began making them not as a sense that it was any sort of accurate portrayal of how my days actually are, because they're really not, but um, it was out of a sense of forced obligation, like I was signed into a contract that I didn't really want to be in anymore, but I felt like I was forced to honor it, or else. So I felt like, all right, guess I have to do it again. I guess I have to make something up and uh, and do this, or else. So that's how I felt for it, or about it, for years at this point, for, for a good number of years. And, uh, The other thing is that what really rubbed me the wrong way is you have to understand that I'm just a very uh, private person. Not that my life is all that interesting, it's really not. Honestly, um, what you see in these shows and on the YouTube, that's about the most excitement there is. So uh, that should tell you everything you need to know, but I'm fine with it that way. That's the thing. I don't need to be like some sort of daredevil or adrenaline junkie that's always doing this or that or the other thing. I'm fine with things being as they are. But at the same time, I just like to be, uh, I'm just a private person, that's all. You know, in this day and age, I feel like everything with so many people is on social media. I feel like, especially if you have a presence there, people want you to, uh, show every detail of your life. And I'm not, I've never been that way. So, as the channel started getting bigger for years, that started making me more and more uh, uncomfortable. I really didn't like that. I hated it, quite frankly. But like I said, I had this sense of obligation that I felt like, well, I still gotta put something together or else. And uh, as a result, whether people could really tell or not, um... I came to greatly resent that video, and the reason why the one in 2020 didn't get released until the very last day of the year is because I held off on doing it for that long, and I was just hoping, please let people forget, please let people forget, I hope people just forget and don't bug me about this and that I don't have to do it this year, and then it could just be put to rest. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Not that it's not, people didn't know, people didn't know, they, I, I get it, it's all right. It's just what they like, and, uh, and I get it, they're different from me, that's fine. Uh, but, you know, I had to do it, but boy, <laughs> talk about kind of doing it, kicking and screaming the whole way. So, that's how it was. And... Then in 2021, I said, no, forget it. I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm just not going to do it. And people can protest all they want. I don't care. Let them say whatever they want. And if they want to leave the channel, then they're welcome to. But I'm not doing this again. It's not happening. I said, forget the the so-called obligation. I'm not doing it. Not a chance. So I didn't. And same applies for 2022. So I just got to do what's right for me. I got to do what I feel comfortable doing. 
and uh, that's all that there is to it. So it's just that it hasn't been something that I enjoyed, you know, doing um, for a while. And I finally decided to just make the choice for what I feel is best for me uh, in particular. So that's just how it is. A totally fair question, though, and uh, I certainly understand the interest, so good to clear that up. Anyway, second question, another question that I got a, a bit, not for this show, but just in general. Um, do you have any plans for bringing back live streams? So thank you, Tyler, for your question. I don't know. Um, I've also mentioned this in previous shows, but live streams always just get so hectic and so chaotic, and I don't like... The thing that I really don't like about it is, number one, how it just drains you so much, at least it does me, but I don't like how people have the expectation that you gotta go a mile a minute, so I feel like when I do a live stream... I feel like I have to rush everything, so there's no time for any uh, serious, sincere discussion. And uh, that's unfortunate. So if someone has a question about something that I could talk about for a while, if I start going on a long answer, people start complaining in the chat, and they talk about how boring it is, etc. So I feel like I gotta rush them, and then... I start feeling like I'm doing everyone who's even asking questions a disservice. And then I feel terrible at the end anyway. Um, you could say, yeah, but don't you get the super chats? Yeah. But I've actually deemed it the point where uh, the financial incentive, um, I'd rather lose out on what could be some extra income uh, in that regard. It's not to say that I'll never do a live stream again. It's just... Um, it's just how I feel. I guess there's too many people that kind of watch them, and it just pushes things along too quickly. But again, good questions. Uh, fair questions. So, we've got that. Uh, this email comes in from an anonymous listener about the shortwave. Um, it may be, as in regards to the bad reception in North America, it may be the sunspots or Elon's satellites messing with the radio reception. Just guessing. How about an additional segment to your food reviews? Compare the item you receive to the picture on the menu and rate the honesty of that picture. Love the voice and uh, the demeanor. Uh, thank you for the entertainment. Well, thank you for writing in, and I appreciate the uh, reception theory. So thank you for... Uh, Thank you for that. You know, I've looked at the, um, the shortwave, and I mean, I'm very familiar with the subject of interference, right? Be that man-made or uh, external. So the interference generated from, be that an electronic device or a, uh, a jamming station. It's like if I... This isn't my main shortwave radio, this is just an emergency radio, but I had it, um, had it sitting here next to me at the desk. Let's turn it on and I'll just 
you're going to hear a lot of interference with the microphone and the computer and all that. So I turn that on. You know, you hear this high-pitched squealing noise, kind of, or, or buzzing. Right, that's just interference. That's just local interference generated from uh, this microphone and the computer. So that's not jamming right there. That, that would just be, if I were trying to listen to a station under these parameters, probably I, I might only be able to hear the strongest stations. As a matter of fact, let's see if we could even get that. Let's try to tune to anything. All right, there we go. But this is the strongest you could get. Most weaker stations. They get drowned out in this. Now there's things you could do on your end to minimize the interference. Like I know which devices cause problems and which don't, like this microphone. That interferes with the shortwave sometimes when it's on and recording. Um, but I'm aware of that, and I know what I could do to rectify the issue. Um, but that's usually a situational thing from person to person. You know, some people might have devices that cause interference, and some don't. So when it's something across the board, then it... Um, I understand the, the theory for jamming, but again, I'm just familiar with, you know, kind of who jams what, and what to be on the lookout for. So, like, I know... For instance, I know that Cuba, uh, they jam a lot of radio stations, and I think some of us wouldn't be too surprised at that revelation, but I know what their jammers sound like, and I don't hear any of that on my frequency. Uh, same goes for China or North Korea or uh, countries like that. I know what to look out for, but I just don't hear that. Now... Here's an interesting thing. I don't know if... I don't think that this is intentional, but if there's any other signal that conflicts with uh, the station I broadcast with, if you'd believe it, um, it's actually a, a transmission from NATO. So, yeah, it's not... Uh, it's not the Reds in the East. <laughs> but, um, you know, no, it wouldn't be... Uh, wouldn't be China or... Vietnam or North Korea doing any of the jamming, but if anything, it would be NATO doing it. But I think it's more of a coincidence, but you know, you don't know. Why do they pick that frequency? They have, mostly in Europe, this digital mode that sounds like a whooshing noise. Some people say it's like a jet engine. And it contains, you know, like encrypted uh, data that NATO uses. But they decided to set that up on the same frequency I'm on, 5850 kHz. But it's obviously not targeting North America, so most people here don't notice that sound. But like some people in uh, New England might, and it might sound like underneath my voice you hear this whooshing noise. Eh, that's from NATO doing that. But I, I really think that that was just a coincidence. But I mean, you know, you never know. But see, even with that, thing is... I've been aware of this uh, NATO broadcast for probably a year, and the reception was totally fine up until about a month and a half ago, 
even with that thing on in the background. So that's why I think it's something else. And uh, Sunspots, it's interesting, but again, it was so sudden. It was like the broadcast was doing just fine earlier in the year when the number of sunspots was really going up too. So, uh, yeah, the sunspots, they can, I mean, they could generate solar flares and geomagnetic storms, but I don't know, this is just unlike anything I've seen. So, I, I don't know. Thank you, though, for the suggestion and uh, the theory, I should say. And likewise, the uh, segment for the reviews comparing the picture. That's not a bad idea. My only fear is that it would be underwhelming every single time, because how often do we actually come across an item where uh, it actually looks just like the ad? You know, it's one in a million, pretty much. So thanks for writing in. This next email comes in from an anonymous listener. In comparison to Christmas and Thanksgiving, I know that the 4th of July is a lesser celebrated holiday. This year was the first year me and my husband set off fireworks together in celebration. Of course, fireworks can be a dangerous thing, but we both came out of the experience unscathed and with wonderful memories as well. I've noticed there are quite a few people who ignite fireworks very close to other people's houses and or property that can easily catch on fire. I would like to say these people don't mean to do harm, but I think that really if someone was interested in keeping others safe, they would not let pure ignorance be the reason someone's property catches fire. Accidents do happen, and there's no precaution that will help, but I'm specifically speaking about people who aren't cautious of their surroundings because of claims that they don't know any better. I'm curious how your 4th of July went, and if you partook, or partake, in any traditional festivities such as fireworks. Take care and best regards. Anonymous. So thank you, Anonymous listener. I don't mind the 4th of July at all. I don't have a problem with it. And, uh, certainly I, I understand having a, uh, especially Independence Day, and, uh, and celebrating it. It doesn't bother me one single bit. I was, uh... Part of me was gonna post something on the social media to celebrate the day, but... <laughs> but everything these days degrades into a total... a total mess, so I thought it would be better not to say anything, but that doesn't mean that I don't like the day. Um, now, when it comes down to any holiday, be that the 4th of July, be that my own birthday, be that Thanksgiving, or Christmas, or Easter, I'm just extremely low-key. I don't really do anything for any of those days. I just stay in, and that's it for me. So I don't do any of the traditional festivities. Excuse me for one minute, just gonna... Need to just take that sip of water. My apologies. I don't uh, partake in any of the traditional festivities, but just because I don't doesn't mean that no one else can either, you know? I say, look, um, by all means, if you want to celebrate the 4th, uh, enjoy it. Have, have a wonderful day. You know, go out with some friends or some family, have a nice barbecue, um, 
if you want to see a fireworks special, do that. If you want to uh, just take it easy, fly the the flag, uh, have a nice again cookout, whatever that you know, whatever you might might do, it's fine by me. You want to go to the beach, have a beach day, or go to the park or something, it's great. Uh, and if you want to set off the fireworks, uh, just do it responsibly, but have uh, have a good time. So that's my take on it. I I accept, like, with the 4th of July, that loud noise, it's just going to be a given. And in Florida, uh, you're allowed to shoot off fireworks on the 4th. There used to be some laws preventing it, but there were some loopholes you could exploit. But recently, I think it was DeSantis, he signed in to law. He said that there's three days of the year where there's you could just fire off any of the fireworks without issues, and that's the 4th of July, and then New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And uh, so those three days. So 4th of July, I think it's just expected that it's going to be loud. And I always expect New Year's and the 4th of July just to be very loud. And so I understand that. I get it. And I don't pitch a fit that it is. Because like I said, I just accept that that's the way that it's going to be. And... uh it is crazy. You hear so many fireworks. It is a uh, cacophony. I mean, I kid you not. It's got to be the most I've ever heard. There's so many of them. It's kind of interesting because it's not just like one or two professional shows. I mean, you've got those going on, but it's like every third house, it seems, launches off their own fireworks. It's crazy. But um, it all blends together, and it's just fascinating. I've never heard anything like that. Same goes for the uh, for New Year. But everyone, for the most part, does seem to be responsible. Uh, there weren't any reports of any sorts of major fires or anything too serious uh, over here, so that was good. So everyone seemed to at least be uh, doing the right thing, and... We're responsible with them, which is good. That's the way it should be. So, everything was smooth there. I didn't do anything. I honestly, to tell you the truth, I pretty much slept through the evening. So that was my 4th of July. I slept. But, um... Now, if someone wants to do more for it, by all means. I don't have a problem with any of that. There was a story that I saw, though, because that's the thing. I think if someone wants to do one of these things, you got to uh, you got to be responsible. Don't do it inebriated. If there's going to be drinks, try to get the one guy there who's sober to do it. And because uh, you have to understand that these things, you know, th- there are repercussions if you do things the wrong way. But like you said, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's some things, you can take all the precautions in the world, but some people, it's just, it's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen no matter what, because they don't think anything's ever going to happen to them, etc. One thing or another. There was some guy down in Miami, for instance, who was launching some fireworks, and I don't know what he thought was going to happen, to be honest. He was holding the damn thing. And it wasn't one of those little Roman candles or sparklers or something. This is a big firework. What did he think was going to happen? Would you go and hold a stick of dynamite? 
So, yeah, he blew his hand off. Now, maybe, you know, maybe it was supposed to... But would you put yourself in that close proximity to it, even if there's that risk? Maybe it's supposed to just shoot, but could have a misfire, could just malfunction. Well, in his case, it did, and his hand got blown clean off. It's just a stump. So things like that, I doubt that guy thought that he was going to be finishing off the 4th of July without a hand. These things happen, but in these cases, I mean, I doubt, I don't know. I just, a lot of the folks that this stuff happens to, they can't be talked out of it. It's just going to happen as it does, and that's the unfortunate thing. So you just got to be as responsible as you can, and you just got to watch your back. Uh, one of the unfortunate things is you get folks who will uh, kind of join in by shooting off their guns in the air. The problem with that is that the bullet has to land somewhere. These days, maybe there's a little less of it, because I know ammunition isn't uh, the cheapest thing in the world, but you'll still get some folks who will do that. But that's the thing, you know. It's unlikely that it'll hit anyone, but still, that bullet has to land somewhere. There have been, yeah, rare reports, but it does happen. Someone will get uh, shot just by a bullet that rains down, you know, is fired a mile or a half mile away by some guy who just shot in the air. But a lot of that is just stupidity. All right. Cade writes in, curious to know if you've ever had the opportunity to try Whataburger. No, I haven't, unfortunately. I haven't had that chance. I get a lot of requests for it, but I've never, I have never had the opportunity to try it out. Thank you, though. Five guys. I guess this is another burger question. It's, not, it's just a, a statement. I'll read it anyway. David writes in, I had a five guys burger all the way for lunch. Quite tasty, but the bottom bun was so soggy that it was structurally unsound. Next time I will order it with only lettuce, pickles, and onions, nothing soggy. Thanks, David, for checking in. Yeah, when I get five guys, it's good. It's good, but, um... I only get my five guys burgers... People would say it's bland, and that's fine. You know, it's a matter of semantics, really. I just get a double... Burger. I think they just call it a regular burger, but it's really with two patties. And I just get it with ketchup and bacon. I don't know, I just think it's best that way, um, pretty pretty plain. Because it's got enough flavor of its own that it, it holds its own, you know? So that's just good enough for me. And I'll usually get a salt packet, and I'll sprinkle some extra salt on it, because it's just how I am these days. That's what I do. But uh, it's good. Simple, but good. Sorry, though, in your case that the bottom bun was uh, soggy, again, to the point where it was structurally unsound. That's no good. Obviously, we want there to be, you know, it doesn't need to be bone dry or anything, but we do want that sort of firmness to the point you can grip it. I'm sorry about that. That's unfortunate. Show from Boston. 
short statement as well. Finishing up the latest VORW, just wanted to say my views and opinions on COVID have evolved big time since early 2020. That is all. Thanks, Joe, for your thoughts. I think a lot of our uh, our views on that have definitely have changed. Like I said, and I'm not afraid to admit, mine sure have. Absolutely. I think it would only be natural for them to evolve with time. As you, you know, if you try to just observe what's going on in the world around you, you try to think critically, you examine the situation. I think it's important to occasionally take a few steps back, just try to get that picture of what's going on and uh, analyze it, you know, examine it. And, uh, and go from there. I just think that that makes sense. That's what makes sense to me anyway. All right, Luis in Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, just sends in a short email. Uh, says, I wanted to tell you I appreciate the work you do. The podcast is very entertaining, and I feel the time of each episode is perfect. You bring up great topics, and the point of view is a very interesting. Uh, keep doing everything you do. I wish you the best. Your taste in suits is so classy. Keep rocking those outfits. Well, thank you, Luis. In Mexico, great to hear from you. I appreciate your kind words, and I'm glad you like the suits, too. I certainly won't stop wearing them. I like them, too. So, I'll just be doing my thing. We've got Buzz in the Philippines, who says, I'm a fan of all your crafts, been listening to all your podcasts, and especially uh, the reviews, and I hope you expand your shortwave radio to Southeast Asia. So thank you for your feedback there. I've actually got a frequency for you to try, okay? I'm going to uh, use a time zone conversion tool so I can get the accurate time. But this is just for something for you to try. So it might be a little late in the day. But it's the best we've got, and honestly, it's the best frequency I've probably, the best chance anyway, to hear the broadcast in that part of the world in the last five years. So, best chance will be 9670 kilohertz. That's 9.670 megahertz in the 31 meter band at the time of midnight. That would be 12 o'clock midnight, Philippine Standard Time. And that would be 12 midnight every Saturday. So it would really, it would probably feel like Friday night to you, but it would be right as soon as it turns midnight. So Saturday just begins. Uh, Try that frequency. That's the best I could offer at this point, but I have gotten some reports that suggest that reception might be possible there. Anyway, it's the best chance. Uh, There is a Chinese station nearby on um, an adjacent frequency, but I have gotten listener responses from Malaysia, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, China, and Japan, uh, as well as going a little further to the west, India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. 
and they've all heard the broadcast on that frequency. So I'm not saying that reception is going to be crystal clear, but it's worth it. It's worth trying anyway. I heard from a listener the other week in Malaysia, and he got a pretty good signal. I gotta say, um, much clearer than I thought it would be. So it's worth trying. That broadcast is mostly targeted to Russia and Ukraine, but it's really far-reaching. So try that out. I can't guarantee results, but it's the best. I'd say it's your best shot. All right. Next email comes in. From Philip, who writes, I don't know if you read my last email. I asked for a shout out for my family stuck in Ukraine. I know they try to listen, and it would be appreciated. Uh, so to interject first and foremost, I didn't get the uh, shout out. If you would just be so kind, you could even reply to this email. Just uh, send in the email specifically for what you would be interested in. And I'll go from there, but I could—I don't see why I couldn't uh, just throw it in for the uh, shortwave broadcast that will be will be heard in Ukraine. So uh, just let me know. Just send in the details. I guess it just got lost in the mix, but that really wouldn't be a problem at all. Uh, so just let me know. Just send in those details, and I'll be happy to oblige. That's no problem. You're right. Anyway, I stumbled upon a story on YouTube. Uh, this is apparently from Cryptid University on Facebook. Now, I do not use Facebook, but I'm sure you could search and find out more. Uh, these are the following images. So they're Bigfoot pictures. I uh, thought you'd like to see them. What do you think? Guy in a suit? Seem to have a baby clinging to its back. So you've got five pictures attached. Part of me... I feel as though this is just what my gut feeling tells me. Not that there's anything that I could say definitively says it's one thing or the other, but something in me says that these are faked. That's just what... I don't necessarily have anything that I could say it's definitely because of this. Just looking at it, that's just what I see. That's just what my gut feeling is. You know, I always go into this stuff with an open mind, but when I get a certain prevailing vibe, that's just what I have to say there. I will add, though, that an interesting touch is the addition of, yeah, what does appear to be um, some sort of juvenile, very young, on the uh, creature's back. So that is interesting. Either way, even if it's faked, that is an interesting addition either way. So who knows in the end? But that's just the impression that I'm getting by seeing them, by seeing the pictures. That's just what I'm leaning Toward. So that's my take. Thank you, Philip, for writing in, though. 
You know, the one piece of the, the Bigfoot footage and evidence that's always, I don't know, was the Patterson-Gimlin film. That's obviously the most well-known piece of evidence there is, but... I don't know. Are some of the circumstances iffy? Yeah. But doesn't mean that it couldn't be what it is. Sometimes things, you know, they just happen. It could have just been an incredible coincidence. I don't know. All I'll say is that given... Here's the thing that always makes me stop when I, when I think about it. I think even if it's a suit, we're talking this is the late 1960s. And multiple production companies from Hollywood at the time analyzed it and said, we don't think we could come up with a suit that good. And these are Hollywood companies saying it. And even the best suits, I mean, these people would have to be investing tens of thousands of dollars. Again, you know, this is the late 1960s, some cheap monkey suit. It just wouldn't look like that. That's just what I'm thinking. That's why that that footage is still, it's still talked about to this day. Because there's something about it that will make people stop and even think for a little bit compared to all the other footage. You'll think, well, I don't know. You, you know, some people definitely look at it and say, oh, that's 100% a hoax. Other people say, that's definite. That's, that's it, you know. That's the smoking gun of proof. Like I said, I admit that some of the circumstances are iffy. But... What you're actually seeing, that's why I hold off on just saying that it's a hoax. I think if there's going to be a piece of evidence out there that's going to be legitimate, 100%, then it's going to be that. That's just the way that I see it. I mean, if you really analyze the footage, you could see the things... You could see the things, uh, thigh jiggling. I mean, if we're going to be talking about a suit, again, in the late, uh, 60s, I don't know, that's just pretty darn good attention to detail that you're going to be putting into that. Not saying for sure that it couldn't be, but there's just these details, and there's more than that, that, uh, I just can't not say that there's... There's not that possibility that that's the real deal. So, that's what I see there. One thing... Some people were saying that this one was a hoax, and I'm still not sure. Was... From the year 2000... Whether or not it's it's real or not, it's just a creepy picture, in my opinion. The Mayaka skunk ape photographs. Either way, whether that thing's real or not, 
Suspending disbelief. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be face-to-face -face with that thing, ever. Not for one single second, ever. Those are just some creepy pictures. One way or another, even what, whether, if it's fake, it's a, uh, it's a creepy fake. Either way. And if it's real, I just wouldn't want to be where that photographer was. That's all that I could say. Maybe it's the eye shine or all of that, who knows, or the way it looks. But, uh, oof. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be there. Elijah writes in, I was wondering if you've heard of this TikTok trend. To interject anything that's a TikTok trend, I, I haven't heard of. I don't use the site, so I'm, I'm just not familiar with its uh, workings or any of that, or uh, what's popular thereon. So anyone who sees anything there, I would just say take it as a given that I'm not familiar with it. But anyway, um, this trend of people going to see the kids' movie Minions rise of Gru, but they dress up very formally, wearing nice suits. It's sort of a joke, like going to see a silly movie, but in formal clothes, it offers a funny juxtaposition. There's plenty of footage on YouTube of this phenomenon if you search gentle minions. I was wondering your thoughts on it since you yourself wear suits. Oh, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I mean, again, I think it's, uh... The impression that I get, anyway, just looking at this, is that... It's not that the suits themselves are being taken seriously in the least. You know, the suits are just being worn as a joke. So, that's, um... What it comes down to. It's not that people are saying... I'm going to make... I'm going to dress this way to make going to the theaters the sort of refined experience that it used to be back in, you know, many decades ago when it was actually something. But um, I'm just going to go because it's just, it's, it's a joke and it's for social media. So that's what um, I think that is. So I don't really care one way or another. I mean... I don't have a problem with them wearing suits. It doesn't bother me one single bit. But I guess I'm just totally, completely, and uh, totally indifferent. I think it's a comedy thing, and uh, like social media stuff. So like I said, I just kind of shrug. I say I don't really have uh, an opinion on it. I wear suits, and if they want to wear suits, that's great. But um, and that's all that there really is to it. Looks like it's just a trend, though, and, you know, that'll be that. But, um, like I said, I don't have a problem with it. They could wear what they want. Certainly worse things to wear than suits, I'll, I'll say that. So, I don't really care, as long as they stay out of trouble. Doesn't, um, doesn't bother me. Though... I don't like the sound of this one headline. I'm just, I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm just going to keep it rolling, just because, like I said, this isn't something that I'm very familiar with. 
Wearing suits, I don't have a problem that. They said they would bring bananas to the theater. And intentionally disrupt the movie by making a lot of noise and I guess throwing the bananas at the screen and at other moviegoers. So, I don't have a problem. If you're going to wear the suits as a joke or whatever, I don't care. That doesn't bother me one bit. If you're going to bring this stuff to the theater and pelt the screen or pelt other moviegoers with it or disrupt the experience, there's no way I can get behind that. That's um, degenerate behavior and not something I support one bit. I don't care what the people are wearing doing that. They could be wearing frock coats or they could be wearing a jock strap. I don't care. Uh, that sort of behavior is uh, not cool if you're going to do that. If you just want to wear the suit, well, I don't care. Wear a suit. But if you're going to bring that sort of ridiculous, childish behavior along with it and disrupt the experience for everyone else, uh, I can't support that. Like I said, I'm indifferent, but if that behavior is just a one-off thing from some sort of group that um, was more boisterous than others and most are just going to sit there and enjoy the movie whilst in formal attire, I don't care. Then that's, that's, that's their prerogative. But if they're all going there to disrupt the movies, I don't care what they're, uh, what they're wearing. That's not right. You've got to be civil and dignified. And uh, I disagree with that. I can't support that behavior. So that's my opinion on that. Let's see these pictures of it. I'm just going to search gentle minions. New York Times. Looks like they're all modern suits. Yeah, what the heck, I'll post the pictures on the podcast. Alright, so the first one we got Gentle Minions. One. All the suits there, they all look like modern suits. And um, it is interesting, a lot of sneakers with suits. I don't know if that's a trend these days. I don't know how many people in that age bracket even wear suits anymore. Second picture is low resolution. Guess it's from a video. Again, look like all modern suits. So the gray three-piece suit, probably the best of them. Though it's still, I wouldn't wear that. It's too modern for my take, for my taste. Yeah. All slim fit stuff, it looks like. And third picture. Well, these guys kicked it up a notch. They've got some walking sticks as well. I like walking sticks, so it's tough to find the ones that I like these days. The ones that I like don't have the dull 
tip. The ones that I like have the very sharp uh, pointed tip to the point where it'll just come down to like almost a, an extremely fine point. And I bet that could be considered a weapon, which is why they're probably tough to find, but I like those much more than the ones with just a dull um, tip. Uh, of these suits, the one on the far left is the best, in my opinion, because it's a more traditional cut. I wouldn't be surprised if the kid probably got it from like a thrift store or something, because it's definitely, that's probably like a 90s, early 2000s suit right there, based on the lapel width. And the jacket isn't, it's a little more unstructured, and the wide leg pants. I don't want to think for these people. I don't want to say that this is what they obviously did, but I bet that's a suit that he probably got from a thrift store. Because that's my favorite suit of the ones I've seen. And these days everything is still slim fit. The reasons, I suspect, are cost involved. But, um, that's what I think. I would have worn a white shirt, a white shirt. Probably a black vest with that, but, nah, the pants, those are definitely, yeah, wider leg. Best of what I've seen. Speaking of suits, I don't comment on the NBA draft anymore. It's a waste of time. It's a total waste. I'm not going to waste the breath on it now. All I will say is uh, nothing there outfit-wise, sartorially, that I thought is even worth mentioning. That's all that I could tell you. I'm not going to say anything else. So... I don't have a problem with wearing the suits, but if it's that attitude that goes along with it, then, like I said, I don't care what they're wearing. I'm not a fan of the attitude. The clothing comes second. The attitude is uh, is paramount. All right, and let's see uh, what else we've got. What else do we have to read? So let's look. Some of these might just be comments that I might not really have a comment on. Others will be more than that. This one, I think, I think this is mostly a comment. So we'll just, maybe we'll read some emails that are mostly comments. We'll do, we'll do that. We'll do that. Kristen, West Virginia writes in. Kristen in West Virginia, if that kind of got blended together first. Writing. Recently you touched upon the rural-urban divide in the United States. This is something that I've been thinking about frequently lately. I sense that one contributing factor is a lack of empathy that persons of differing backgrounds have for one another. Watch some television for a bit and ask yourself the question... Is small-town rural America represented in any proportionate way? I would say no. It seems the only time I see rural America represented is in a dismissive, slumming way. To be fair, most persons who produce programming grew up 
and or work in a more urban context, I reject the notion that there is some secret social Hollywood cabal. It's just that they're producing films and programs from what they know and have experienced in life. Regardless, the economic and cultural gap between rural and urban areas has been increasing over the past few decades. This generates an increase in resentment and alienation for those of us who reside in heartland, in the heartland small-town America. For myself, I'm much more progressive than those around me here in West Virginia, but I live among those in my community, and I can understand their feelings and frustrations of not being represented within the broader culture. So thanks, Kristen. In West Virginia for your thoughts. Yeah, you see this so much. The stupid, dumb rednecks, right? It's what they all are, according to some Hollywood producer. Now, we could talk all day about whether or not that's for any other reason than, you know, some guy who was born and raised in uh, New York City has a certain view of folks, let's say, in West Virginia, as opposed to someone born and raised in West Virginia. But I don't know. I don't know. The more I see these days, the more I think everything's, you know, controlled. And I don't know. It's just... I base these these viewpoints off of what I see and what makes sense to me. So I'm not saying that this is true or not, but it's just, it's just what, uh, what makes sense to me. The more I see, I try to just assess probabilities, you know, the why. Well, why are things this way? Why are they that way? And more and more, the most likely answer that makes sense to me is because either A, it's all controlled by an organization that's telling them to do things a certain way, or uh, even if there isn't some sort of centralized power pulling the strings, things just still feel so uh, agenda-driven these days, and it's, I don't know, everything feels so, uh, so purposeful. But that's just the way I interpret it. Like I said, I fully say right, you know, here and now, that, that's just me. That's just the way I see it, but it's interesting stuff either way. Thanks for your thoughts. Thanks for writing in. Review suggestion, Chris in Waukee, Iowa. Mountain Dew Overdrive. This Mountain Dew flavor released only at Casey's General Stores. So thanks for the heads up there. Yeah, I don't think I have any nearby, but I appreciate the heads up. Matthew, in Canada, long-time listener on Spotify. I'm a big fan of traveling, and unfortunately, since the start of the pandemic, I've been unable to partake in my hobby. Recently, restrictions have loosened in many parts of the world, so traveling is becoming a viable option once again. That said, I'm planning on vacationing in Morocco next sometime next summer, and was wondering if there's any places you'd love to visit. I personally have been to Thailand, China, 
and visited most states, but there are plenty of places still on my checklist. So thanks, Matthew. Writing in travel question. Now, there's no place I, you know, I get asked this question from time to time, and sometimes I'll, I'll think, but I think my answer has changed with time. There's nowhere I want to go anymore. Uh, I'm fine. I, I never have to leave this, uh, I never have to go out again, honestly. I'm, uh, I'm fine. I just live vicariously through what I see these days, but there's no, um, I just feel like I've kind of, I've done enough traveling. If I do any more traveling, I mean, I won't, I won't complain, but there's no place that I feel like I have to see anymore. I, I feel like I've seen everything I pretty much need to see at this point, and, um, I don't think I would necessarily go out of my way, all things considered, to, um, oh, I have to go see the pyramids or this, that, or the other thing. It's like, again, if, if an opportunity presents itself and everything works out, I, I don't mind traveling. But, um, like I said, it's not, um, just not something I think I, I prioritize all that much. But it's different for everyone. That's one of those things. It's like some people, they're all about traveling. There's nothing wrong with that. As for me, it's just, I'm fine being a stationary person at this point. Or at least just doing some... Most of the time, any travel I do these days, and granted I have done a bit, is, um... Mostly out of necessity, or there's underlying reasons behind it. Sometimes I'll try to make the most out of it. But, um... It's like, I don't think I would do any, you know, vigorous overseas travel, um, these days anyway. Maybe some domestic stuff, perhaps, but I think that would be about the extent of it. This listener, this listener writes in, Some might find my work mind-numbing, but I love it because I could relax my mind and still have energy afterward to engage in my hobbies. I was in undergrad for six years, switching majors, dealing with mental health issues. During those times, I never... Th- I ne- During those times, I never would have expected to be where I am now, with a decent job and a place where I enjoy living. So for others struggling with similar things, as I had been... PTSD, financial concerns, coming very close to giving up, I keep fighting, and it can get better. Anyway, watching your review channel, but I'm new to the podcast, are you familiar with liminal spaces? And if so, do liminal space images, video games, etc. have an impact on you? For some of them, I don't feel anything, but for others... I do get that feeling of it being vaguely familiar, but in an unsettling, slightly off manner. Thanks for what you do. Thank you for your feedback there. And some important advice that I hope helps some folks out. Liminal spaces. I am aware of them, but they don't have an effect on me. Um... What is this called? Yeah, 
Oh, that's why I, t I typed in the wrong thing. Okay. I was just trying to look up some examples of liminal spaces. There we go. Okay, that's the right one. So I was I was typing in the wrong... It was... I was looking for a subreddit that had some pictures. And the one I was looking for it wasn't spaces, it was just space. Anyway, liminal spaces don't bother me at all. Uh, but they really do creep some people out, but I've never... Honestly, I've never seen a liminal space that, um... That bothers me one bit. I mean... Let's look on the liminal space. It's called liminal space subreddit. Let's look up the the big submissions for the last week. That doesn't bother me. There's a guy in a hospital room. It's just a hospital room that doesn't bother me. <laughs> a depressing visit to Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, it's an empty Chuck E. Cheese place. Maybe this is a tie-in. Maybe COVID is killing them all off. <laughs> it's just an empty Chuck E. Cheese. I think that the animatronic rat is creepier than the empty space would be. See, well, here's the thing with me. This is why... This is why I think liminal spaces don't bother me at all. I see the emptiness and lack of people there as a benefit. So that's why I often... If every place I could go to were like this... And they were all empty. These, even if they're massive facilities or structures, I would go out so much more than I do. It's because of all the other folks there, and oftentimes their character and reactions to things that I have great disdain for and just the way I am. I can't control how other folks are, but... I know at least how I'll feel going out, so I, I don't go out, really, unless I absolutely have to. And, uh... But it's, it's very unnerving for me. I don't like being around people. Um, I like... The, you know, sometimes, before the concept of liminal spaces was ever a thing, I would sometimes... This is years ago now, so you're going, like, eight to ten years ago... When I would fall asleep every night, I would, you know what would help me drift off to sleep? I would wish that I could wake up and every other person in the world would be gone. And I could just go places and they'd be totally empty and devoid of any other people. And it would be great. Because I could finally get some peace and quiet, and I could enjoy these places as I feel I would most. So, for years, I mean, this was the damn thing that would would comfort me to, to drift off to sleep. So, that's why I know for a fact 
that these sorts of, of spaces and the aesthetics therewith haven't any effect on me because my mind sees all of these things as a good thing in every single scenario. Now, the most famous of all the liminal spaces, of course, is the back rooms, right? And that I know is very popular with the Zoomers. And apparently a lot of people find that sort of stuff creepy. Now, I'll commend the folks who drifted, who, who drafted up the concept for the back rooms and made it what it is, where obviously, I mean, they created a massive success. It's one of those things, like for me, I've watched some videos of it in my free time, just for the fun of it, I'll see them come up on the recommendations on YouTube. Like, there's this guy, I think he's the one who actually did it, Kane Pixels. See, originally the back rooms showed up on 4chan. It's, it showed up on the on one of the boards there, I think. And it was just a, a post or something that I guess someone posted this picture of some abandoned uh, office. I mean, it, not, it wasn't even abandoned. It was just an empty office from like the 90s. It had this uh, yellowish type of wallpaper and fluorescent lights. But for some reason, the picture really creeped people out. A lot of people did. Again, for me, um, I've seen the original picture and post and all of that, and it's just, you know, it's just an empty building. That's that's just how I see it. I don't see it as creepy. But people took that picture, and they decided to build a storyline around it, which I think is is very creative, and I commend that effort, where they say that there's a sort of, I don't know if you'd call it interdimensional or whatever, it's just a place that exists outside of the plane of reality that you could just randomly get transported into through whatever. Um, Probably formally you would say quantum fluctuations or something, you just got kind of screwed over by the universe, but... They said, I guess this is video game lingo, they said you no-clip out of reality. Which, again, I think that's like a video game term or something. I'm not really familiar with that because I don't play um, video games anymore. But I'd assume it's the same thing. You just pop out of reality and wind up there for some reason. And and you're in this infinite um, maze that it just looks like this repeating... All it is is this eternal place that... Looks like this giant empty office with the various walls and the yellow. You look up pictures of it, the back rooms, and you'll see exactly what is being talked about there, the fluorescent lights, and and they'll say that there's uh, creatures in the back rooms that'll go and get you or something to that extent. But anyway, you know, you had folks on YouTube that built off of it and made this whole storyline around it, which I thought was very clever. And I, I applaud that. Now, I've watched, the, I've watched a number of the videos, and I find them as entertainment. 
So I, I don't find them creepy or scary in the least. That's just my perception. I don't find the creatures uh, scary. I figure if I wound up in the back rooms, I mean, I'll just shrug. It's just going to be what it is for me. And, um, and that's just the way it goes. But like I said, I know for many people it is uh, creepy. That's why it became so popular. See, I am an outlier, but I realize that. But anyway, they've made up this whole storyline around it, which was interesting. We've got these various, I think they're government-subsidized scientific agencies that I guess have opened up a portal in their their laboratory to this uh, backroom's dimension. And every now and then you'll have these researchers in their hazmat suits that'll kind of cross into it and explore. And and the various subject matter will... um, you know, be the next YouTube video. So you got that channel that does the main stuff with that. And then there's a bunch of spin-off ones that are kind of like, people treat this one channel as the official one. Then there's a bunch of spin-off channels as well. But the way that the guy was able to do this was very creative. Um, Because obviously you would think, how could you do a video of this place and make it realistic? when it obviously doesn't really exist. So the way that he did it, I think, was through some sort of, you know, like, computer-generated program, where so much of the stuff is just through this uh, 3D rendering program. But the way he's able to make it realistic, and it makes sense, is, mind you, number one, all of the settings and scenes are based off of, you know, very commonplace objects and and real-life locations, for the most part, these real-world liminal spaces, so that could be a very easy example to use. Uh, so in terms of rendering this stuff also, I mean, it's not the most difficult thing. I, I would I would assume it's not very difficult. But the smartest thing, because one thing that also to some people, to me not so much, but to some people is a bit uh, creepy, is this analog aesthetic. So... You make things, you make all of this stuff take place in the early to mid-90s. And as a result, you overlay everything with a VHS kind of looking effect, and you make the video fairly low resolution, fuzzy, and a few artifacts thereon, etc. But in doing so, mind you, that will smooth everything out. Otherwise, if you were watching this in 4K you know, and it was clear as day if this was, let's say, filmed um, were to take place in 2022 and someone had a top-of-the-line camera, it would be... the resolution would be too good and you would easily be able to tell unless you were using some sort of, like, film production company, you know, with a massive, massive budget to do the rendering you would look and you would you would think to yourself, this just doesn't look, it looks like a video game, you know? It, it doesn't look real. So it might still be creepy to some, but I think the dramatic effect and the impact, the potential impact, that is, would be greatly lessened. So having the analog, you know, early 90s VHS effect, it, it covers all of that up. So as a result, you say, well, yeah, of course, 
it's not going to be top of the line footage because this supposedly took place in 1993, right? So then you expect that, and that smooths everything out. And again, for some people, the VHS, you know, like found footage style, adds to it. So that's one of the reasons why it became so, so successful. But again, all of these touches I commend. Um, now, as for the subject matter of the videos themselves, again, I've watched a bunch, just again, for entertainment's sake. I've watched the main channel and a few of the competing channels, but it's entertainment to me. That's the thing. There's no, there's never been any sort of um, spooky feeling from it. I've wa- I watch this damn stuff before I go to sleep sometimes, just for entertainment, just something to uh, wind me down for the day. And, uh, and that'll be that only thing that bugs me a little bit and this is just like this is just one of those things that i know you're supposed to suspend the disbelief and forget about this stuff and i get it but number one why aren't any of the the researchers ever uh you know i should i i shouldn't be picking it apart with these technicalities i really shouldn't Ah, you know, forget it. I'm just going to do it anyway, because I opened this can of worms, so we just got to deal with it now. It's it's apparent that these researchers built a portal to this other dimension, and evidently they've been there enough times to at least have a basic understanding of it. So, that said, I, I think they should have at least the understanding that there's some sort of, whatever you want to call it, alien life, they're in, which is very likely hostile to um, anyone stuck there. So why on earth aren't any of these guys armed? They're just going to wander around in there just with their hazmat suits and nothing? And then if something comes up on them, are they just going to accept fate and just say, all right, I'm going to die now? Not even going to give themselves a fighting chance? So, I mean, that that's the first thing. But, um... I'm sure it'd be explained the way you could say, well, it's another dimension, and I don't know, somehow uh, firearms don't work, or it's been decided that, um, you know, the creatures therein are, uh, have some something that makes them impenetrable to uh, projectiles or something. That You know, you could easily explain that away. Um... Second thing, it's not much of a criticism, but it just irked me a little bit, was that there was, this was a spin-off channel, though, so I'll, I'll say that. That some people, it seems like they, bla- they, they base it too much off of what I would consider video game logic. So it's hard for me to try to suspend disbelief when they act like someone in a video game and not, as you would expect, these... Uh, you know, professional researchers and explorers to react to certain situations. I'll just, I'll just cite, I'll cite the example. So this guy is with his uh, team, and they get attacked by one of the creatures in the back rooms. So the guy just, all right, makes a run for it because obviously they're being attacked. He's trying to his other. Uh, 
partner is obviously dead. And uh, he makes a run for it. And he goes into, uh, you know, he's running and running and he's going through all these different randomly generated spaces because the back rooms is supposed to be infinite. So it's just going to continually come up with new rooms and stuff and goes into this one room where there's these uh, filing cabinets and he's never been there before. And what's the first thing he starts doing? He starts opening up the filing cabinets and starts looking for uh, items and sure enough in one of the filing cabinets is a sawn off shotgun. And I'm thinking to myself, this feels like something that would be straight out of a video game, you know? That 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 series of actions seems like what someone playing a video game would do. Right? Alright, you're under attack and you're um your NPC companion is getting killed by this monster, so you gotta run and you gotta start searching the area for weapons, so you open up this crate and there's nothing in there. You open up the filing cabinet, and oh, there happens to just be a fully loaded sawn-off shotgun and some shells in there. It's like one of those things, what are the odds that you would have that in some random filing cabinet there? It's just it's like one of the things you would see in a video game universe. So that was just tough for me to digest as being real. So that... That, again, like I said, this is stupid, criticism-wise, but it bothered me. The third and final thing, and like I said, look, this just is what it is. I know that it's just... And this is another one of the spin-off channels, because a lot of those are just... They're not quite as polished. I'll still give them a chance sometimes if I ever go down one of these backrooms-related rabbit holes, which will happen, you know, a couple times a month. And uh, the thing is, is that you could obviously tell that the, the people, because sometimes what they'll do is they'll get the folks in the hazmat suits, they'll actually be real people, and everything else around them will be generated. Other times, they'll use the rendering to generate those characters as well. It really depends on the channel. I guess what they can work with, etc. But, um, anyway, the, the people voicing these guys will sometimes, um, they'll just say things that appear out of character. It's like, remember, this is supposed to be... What I was just saying, I took a short break, so I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but just what I was trying to say is that, again, it's not a big deal. It's just tough to, to suspend disbelief when some people will just say things they're obviously voicing these guys but they say things that are tremendously uh, out of character and again I'll just cite the one example that set me off it was because um, again mind you these people are supposed to be government professional researchers practically 30 years ago so yeah you know there's many comparisons and stuff that hold up to the present from the early 90s. But some of the vernacular was definitely different. I think people handled things even then with more uh, professionalism than you see now. And it's says some of the some of the phrases in the videos are just obviously things that you would never see used that then. 
and it's not just like a little thing it's just like it's it's <laughs> you know it's one of those things that made me do a double take they um use occasionally the I don't even know what you would call it, just the slang, I guess, that's used by a lot of, a lot of Zoomers. Alright, so these guys, mind you, are supposed to be fully grown adults, professional researchers, back in the early 90s. They're navigating through this maze on some sort of experiment or, um, whatever it might be, exploration. They're going through this room. They hear a, a noise or a bang off in the distance. So the guy looks up and he says, Hey, yo, bro, what's that? I kid you not. And not that this guy is supposed... That's just how a lot of Generation Z folks talk these days. But to... <laughs> I did a double take when I heard that, and I thought, oh, you gotta be kidding me. I thought to, I shook my head. I thought, you gotta be kidding me. I thought, I just find that they're, they're always gonna be outliers, but... <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I thought, no, I can't do this. So, that was too much for me. That's all. For some people, you know, that's gonna seem normal, because, like, if they're in high school or whatever... All their peers these days talk like that. There's so many terms and whatever that get used. And um, that's just the state of the vernacular, whether people like it or not. And uh, that's going to seem normal. It's going to be like, yeah, all right, the guy is just addressing um, what he heard in the distance. But when you're factoring in all of this stuff, you know, to me anyway, I kind of just, I laughed at that. I... I thought that was just kind of funny, and I thought, oh gosh, I can't, I can't do this. So, and that was just something that I thought was silly. So, you know, some of these videos, so again, some are more professional than others. I, I guess the rendering programs are free to use, so you'll have all sorts of people doing this, and I'm sure that video was probably made by, like, a high school kid or something, and it just is what it is. Who am I to, it's no big deal just came to mind. Some are definitely better than others, but uh, it's an interesting concept. What, what people were able to do and make this whole universe out of a picture posted online, isn't that something? It's crazy stuff. We've got Joffrey, who writes in, The bucket list question reminded me of what's most important, and uh, it's something I haven't heard you speak on. As a pediatric and young adult brain cancer patient, I've had to face my mortality early and often, and it's something most people choose to be ignorant of, even though there is not a more important consideration to thoroughly examine. Through my tribulation and seeking, I came to certainty that Jesus really is the truth and the only way. So my question to you and listeners is this, have you considered what comes after our time in this world. Now, number one, I understand if you're trying to evangelize with uh, that email, that's, you know, your prerogative, most certainly. And uh, folks can always believe what they want. 
Um, I will answer the question, though, directly, um, just my thoughts on, on death and all of that. Certainly, though, no matter one's beliefs, I, uh, I obviously don't know your situation, but I certainly wish you the best. And I know that accepting one's mortality, it's a very difficult thing to do. Many people, they live, they, they live their whole lives and are never able to. So uh, it's, I know it's a tough thing. And it could really be a process, but sometimes it can help in these tough circumstances to be, you know, to, be, to accept your mortality. Sometimes it could be freeing in a way. And uh, if you get it, you get it. Now, I say that because I'm one of those people that have. Um, there was a time that I feared death. I did. It would be one of those things that would kind of sneak up on me every now and then, and I would, um, I would face those anxieties. You know, the thought of, well, I'm not going to be around one day. And nothing, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. So that feeling would kind of creep up on me, and it would get to me sometimes. And uh, it would come and go occasionally, but during mid-2019, uh, it creeped up again, and it, it stayed there for a while. And all of that changed... And I realize now I'm pretty certain that the change, it's, it's very likely permanent, which I'm happy about, because it's just something that I firmly feel unwaveringly at this point. And if anything, that feeling's only gotten stronger since then. But in early November of 2019, I had my accident which I'm sure many of you listening are certainly aware of. I was up in the attic, and I lost my footing, and I fell through the ceiling and fell into the garage. So I fell, because mind you, you know, I was standing up fully. I wasn't crouched down or anything. So my head probably fell a good 16 feet, because, mind you, it went from the space, from standing in the attic, through the floor, and then from that floor, which is now the ceiling that I had fall through, um, to the floor below. And floor was concrete, and I fell. And the first thing that hit the ground was my um, tailbone and lower back and uh, hips. And unfortunately, it has lasting impacts, which I've been told they are just going to be what they are. And it's just something that I live with, and it is what it is. Look, it's, you know, what can you do? I, I just, I live my life um, and work around all that sort of stuff. I'm still able to do a lot of the stuff that uh, I like, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, but the second thing that hit was my head, and that hit hard, and I just hit back of my head really hard on the concrete. And at the time, I was obviously very confused, disoriented, and in a whole lot of pain. I had the adrenaline going and everything. I wasn't sure what happened at first. I mean, 
I obviously was looking up at where I fell through, but it seemed so unreal to me. You know, it's like how 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 on earth, how on earth can this happen, right? How on earth can I actually do that? Yet I did, and that's, that's where I wound up. So uh, I had to go right to the hospital because there was uncertainty as to uh, the extent of my injuries at the time because it was a really hard hit, both, again, on my lower back, um, my head, and other areas too, you know, my ribs, my hands, um, even my mouth. And all sorts of stuff had these uh, nails that... So, you know, when when you've got old nails and stuff that scratch you up, you got to get treatment for that, too. It's, it's, it was just a lot of things I had to go over there for. And when I was uh, at the hospital, certainly wasn't uh, certain as to the uh, status of things. And the doctors weren't either. They had to assess things. So they couldn't give me that guarantee that if you say, you know, am I going to be all right from this? They can't. They, they couldn't say yes. Um, so obviously, when you're in that situation and you're directly faced with that possibility that, look, I might have severely messed things up in my head and there could be a hemorrhage or something to that extent and uh you know that might this might be the last couple hours i've got knowing that throughout that year i've been having those fears and then having something where it's as real as ever and you're faced with that distinct possibility that until you know for sure something might be horribly wrong that can't be fixed, you know, in my brain and that's just going to be that. So one would then think, well, obviously, if you were so afraid of, of the inevitable, right, whenever that would be, then it must have really came to a head that morning, because now you're actually facing what's probably the realest chance of having this happen, you know, ever before in your life. But you know what? Something changed in me that morning. Hey, maybe it was because I hit my head, and that, that induced a personality change. Who knows? Heck, who knows? Either way, I'm happy with it, um, if that were the case. But I accepted it. And right then and there, as I was there before I had any of the scans and all that done, I accepted, right then in that hospital, my mortality, and I said to myself, look, if I die this morning, that's just going to be the way that it is. And you know what? I've had these fears, but I realize now, in the moment, I'm ready. And at that point, I wasn't scared anymore. I, there's no good way to explain as to why I wasn't... Like I said, maybe it was just because I hit my head. But for some reason, in that moment, I completely accepted it. I completely accepted my mortality. 
and the fact that I, I could die this morning. I might have really messed things up. And I said, but that's all right. That's all right. If, if that's how it is, then that's just how it is. In terms of death as a result, my feelings since then haven't changed one single bit. I've accepted it. I know I'm not going to live forever. It amazes me that so many, so many people out there either A, think that they're going to live forever. I hear so many people that say, well, you just wait. I'm glad I was born now because there's going to be some sort of techni technological advancement and I'm going to live long enough to um, get this, that, or the other thing that'll grant me uh, immortality or I'll be able to live to be 200 now or something. And there's so many people that feel that way. Not that I could. People just perceive things differently, and that's fine. But um, I realize there's a lot of people that are that way. I mean, as for me, whether it's to my own detriment or not, you know, it's my life in the end, and um, I'm going to view it the way that I view it, and nothing can change that at this point, is, uh, no, I've accepted it. I've said, look, I'm going to be here as long as I am. And... I don't know, if I die tomorrow, I die tomorrow. Right? If I die in a year, I die in a year. If I die in 10 years, I die in 10 years. If it's 50 years, then it's 50 years. Quite frankly, I don't really care if I die. It's just going to be when it happens to us all. So, I don't know. I'm just comfortable with it. It's a part of life, you know? We're born to... Uh, we're born to die, essentially. Everything does. And, uh... I don't know, I just kind of... I shrug. So... That's my take on, on that. Uh, in and of itself. I've just totally accepted it. And some things that I think have only solidified that, because again, like I said, my view has been unwavering since 2019. And it's only been strengthened since then. So it's like... Alright, first... In terms of any sort of afterlife... I put a question mark there. So that's the other thing. I don't think the way I see it... But I, I, I don't... I don't know for sure. I leave it as an open-ended thing. I say, if any of the world religions got it right, well, I'm going to be judged accordingly, as we all will be in that case. And that's all that I could do. I try to be a, a decent person, but not in the hopes of getting some sort of re reward or something in the afterlife or any of that. Because you get people that, that are that way, and they say, well, I'm just going to... only reason I haven't killed anyone is um, because I'd be in hell otherwise. You know, I just think, I don't know. If there isn't anything, there isn't anything, but I just think it's the right thing to do to just be a uh, be a decent person and... and uh, just try to be the best you can be. No one's perfect, but I just try to just be a 
be a hopefully decent human being out of principle, not for any sort of expectation of judgment. But if any, again, of the world religions are right, like I said, I'm just going to be judged accordingly as I am, and that I accept. If there's nothing, and it's just like how it was before we were born, then so be it. Right? That's just going to be the way that it is then. One uh, theory that's always seemed a little interesting to me is that, and this is, this, this is interesting, everything just repeats. And when we die, not reincarnation, it's just going to be like your life. You know, it's like a VHS tape. When, it, when, when it's over, you're going to rewind it, press play again, and you're just going to relive your life. But it's not going to be any of this Groundhog Day stuff. You're not going to remember that. I mean, maybe little bits and pieces, that's where the the deja vu comes from. But um, you're just going to... You've lived this life already an infinite number of times. And you're going to continue to live it and relive it an infinite number of times. But you're never really going to be aware of that, ever. And that's just how it is, you know... You just exist in this present form, and you always will. And when you die, you're going to be, you're going to be kind of rewound back to birth, and that's going to be it. And it's going to be the same life with the exact same thoughts and the exact same decisions and the exact same everything every time. But you're never going to be aware of that, right? That almost seems uh, to make sense to a degree, anyway. But. Like I said, it's it's just going to be what it is, but I think, I don't know, there's just things out there that, again, I'll just think to myself, I, like, like I remember when I went under anesthesia, it was actually comforting to me, in a way, because I thought to myself, uh, you know, I could have died right here, and I wouldn't even know it. You know, I wouldn't even know it. And to me, that's just like, uh, it doesn't, um, that doesn't bother me. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's not that scary at all. And there's times where I've been so disassociated from things where I think, you know, I could just pop out of existence right now and I, I wouldn't even be aware of it. And that's always kind of funny to me. But, um, there's that. There's times where I realize, heck, I could just, you know, I wouldn't even know it. And even if I did know it, would it would it perturb me? Right? No, it wouldn't. I've, I've just accepted it completely, regardless of whatever the final outcome in life is going to be. And whatever, if anything, awaits us, I've just accepted it. And, uh... Any possibility. It's not just I'm banking on there being one outcome or the other. Any outcome. Just look, it's just going to be what it is. So, I'm just totally, I've accepted it. I'm ready. I'm not going to do anything to expedite the inevitable. It's just going to be when it is, whenever that is. But I'm ready whenever that's going to be. So, 
I, my policy with life these days, I'm going to stick around for as long as I'm around. <laughs> and that's that. I, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that thinks they're going to live forever. Or this, that, or the other thing. Like I said, look, I'm just... I'm here. And I guess I'll be here for, uh... As long as I'm around. Like I said, not to be a broken record, but that's just the way that it is. So, that's my take. I'll tell you this. One thing these days, and it's funny how kind of like the tables have turned almost for me. You know what creeps me out? Way, way more than death does. Because like I said, I've accepted that. But what really bothers me these days is immortality. I, I see immortality as a form of, of uh, torture at this point. Because when you think about how, at least time as we understand it, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know if I could really think of a, a greater uh, torture than being immortal. And I just, it's interesting. A lot of people, now I know a lot of people don't see it that way, and that's fine. This is just me injecting my personal philosophy into stuff. Because I know I've asked the questions, even in this broadcast, multiple times to listeners, you know, if you were offered immortality, but without any guarantees, so meaning... You know, it's not guaranteed that humanity is going to become some sort of extremely advanced civilization. You know, they, we might all blow each other up in 200 years, and you're going to be stuck on Earth, trapped here in this wasteland for as long as the Earth is around. And then you're going to be in the void of space for God knows how long. And eventually, you know, you're going to be just wandering around and just a dark, empty space for all eternity, essentially. You know, that's how I examine it for those... for those things. When I look at immortality, I see that as an eventual guarantee. And, um... even the most advanced civilizations, again, might one day be no more. So... I always reject immortality. But so much so, to this point, that it's not even a matter of the question, if you were offered immortality or you would just live life, you know, regularly and just die naturally whenever that time is, right, which would you take? I would always say, I'll just live life for as long as I do. But let's kick it up a notch. If you're given... You're either going to be immortal, or you're going to die ASAP right now. What's it going to be? I would choose the latter without hesitation. Because I couldn't... I couldn't be immortal. Hell no, I say. So it's weird. I have the, the opposite thought. It's like, to me... Being immortal is, uh, no, I just don't see it that way. I think then, imagine, imagine this, right? Let's just hypothesize, let's just go on a little tangent, right? Imagine if 
you choose to be immortal, turns out that the afterlife is real, and everyone's chilling out in paradise and are having the best time ever, and you're going to be stuck in this cold, dark universe drifting around through space forever. And you're going to be stuck there even after the heat death of the universe. You're going to be the only thing there. And it's never going to end. God, what an awful decision that would be, I think. Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff either way, but that's just my perception of it. Oh, people will disagree, and I don't have a problem with people disagreeing. That's fine by me. That's just my life philosophy. But I say that my life philosophy. Everyone else can have it their way. If you want to just be immortal and you're more optimistic than I am, you know, then if let's say that hypothetical were real, go with whatever choice you feel is right for you. That's all that I say. Go with whatever choice you think is the right one in your case. I know in my case which, which choice I would go with. But that might not be the right one for you to make, you know? You might have a different perspective on it, and that's fine by me. This is one of those things that you just gotta look at individually, and you gotta think, what what is it, how is it that I feel, just in the grand scheme of things, and just go from there. It's just, I, that's how I see it. You gotta come to your own conclusions and make peace with said conclusions on your own terms. That's how I see it. It's the only way I think that could, that you could ever find contentment if one can. Like I said, I think there might be some folks who never can, but that's just my take. It's an interesting thing. I don't know if I've ever talked about that on this show before. Maybe I have, might have back in 2021, but it's interesting. Interesting nonetheless. You know, the universe and all of that stuff is fascinating. I was looking at those pictures the other day from the James Webb Space Telescope. And, uh, crazy. Not that, the thing is that people got to realize about the space telescopes and all of that is that such views, like of these uh, deep fields, you know, like the Hubble Deep Field or the Ultra Deep Field, or uh, if there was a name given to what was taken with the James Webb Telescope, where you're looking and you see thousands of galaxies, that's not, the way that these are made, it's all infrared. And the data is then processed and um, then it's kind of recolored and, and, you know, touched up. So, and that's, you know, based on what the very, very sensitive equipment in this telescope can detect. And that's very different, mind you, from what one can see with the naked eye. So such things, you know, really exist. And I think anyway that, you know, those deep fields, etc., are totally real, but it's essentially imperceptible to humans 
unaided, even if we were on like a spaceship or something. Not, I'm not just talking about being bound to Earth. That's just my, my viewpoint anyway. There's things that we just can't see, but they're out there and they can be detected, you know? It's a whole spectrum, right? the electromagnetic spectrum. But anyway, all of these objects in the universe and everything fascinate me. And it's so cool, all of this stuff. So much that we'll probably never really know, but uh, it's just interesting that all this stuff is out there. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting stuff. You know, you think, the one one thing that I always think is a misconception anyway is people's views of the the universe and the observable universe. There's people who... There was one person who was saying the other day, because I was reading about some of the furthest objects ever discovered, right? And one of the furthest... I think this is, this is the furthest one ever seen so far. It was discovered... I believe in April 2022. And it has... It took the light from this galaxy known as HD1. It took it 13.5 billion light years to reach us. But given that the universe is expanding and it's so far away, at present it would be about 33.4 billion light years away. And the light was from so long ago, you know, you are essentially traveling back in time, that the light from this galaxy would have been only 330 million years after the Big Bang, so very, very early universe we're talking, and extremely far away. But that right there is on the outer edges of the observable universe. But it's like, people somehow think that it's like we're in a dome, and the universe ends where the observable universe does. So like, there's one person who is saying, well, if, because now this, mind you, you know, we talk about suspending disbelief. This would just be through magic or something. Someone was saying, well, let's say theoretically that I wound up in that galaxy, HD1, right at this moment. So not back, back when we're seeing it, but as it is right now in the present. And I could look in our direction toward, you know, the other end of the universe, toward where we would be. So we would be on the outer fringe of the observable universe according to HD1, you know? They got it wrong, though. They were saying, so half the sky from that galaxy would be black, right? And there'd be nothing there, because that would be where the observable universe ends. And the other half, if they were looking in our direction, they would see some of the points that would be between 
that galaxy and the Milky Way, which would be all the way on the other side of the universe there. People were saying, no, it's according to our current understanding anyway, you know, the observable universe is, is relative to where you are. So it's just based on where the light can travel. So the observable universe in the Milky Way galaxy where we are is, yeah, it's going to have some overlap from, let's say, that other galaxy, but they're going to see a whole part of the universe that is unobservable to us just based on the distance, and we would be seeing a whole part of the universe that is unobservable to them. Again, just based on the understanding. It's like, this is a horrible example, but it kind of works. If you're standing along a long, relatively straight road, and you've got three people, right? One person at point A, the second person is at point B, let's say, two miles down the road, and then you have the person at point C, two miles further down the road. So the distance from the person from point A to point C would be about four miles, and the person in point B would be equidistant from the two. That's a pretty easy thing to visualize. And each person has a pair of binoculars. And the person from point A can only see the person at point B. And the person at point C can only look down and see the person in the middle, point B. They're just too far away from one another point A and point C, that they can't see each other. It's just line of sight, it just doesn't work. They just can't see that far. But the person at point B can see them both, right? Looks one way, sees the one. Very far distance. Looks one way, sees the other. That's like kind of how the observable universe can be. How what you can see is going to be totally variable based on your location. But it's obvious that it's not like the person at point A, well, just because they can't see the person over at point C, that means that the entire world exists where their uh, binoculars can't see anymore, you know? It's, you know, there's stuff beyond that. It's just it can't be seen, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And that's something that we, ex we accept just, you know, in daily life. That there's things beyond our vision. So, anyway, I'm sure people will tear that example to bits, but I think it works anyway. So, you know, then it's determining the true size of the universe and the unobservable universe, etc. And there were some people, but it, it seemed very highly theoretical to me that they were saying, well, based on... It was like you were getting different answers. So it makes me think that no one really knows. That's all that I could say. That one person was saying, well, I think that it's going to... I think that it's... um A hundred billion light years across. And other people were saying, no, it's 94. No, it's... Uh, 18,000 billion light years. No, it's infinite. No, you know... It, no, it's cylindrical and it actually curves around and we're seeing the same light repeated. You know, you've got so many 
different theories. It's one of those things that people will say stuff definitively. I don't think you could really know for sure. Maybe one day. But at the same time, at least as far as I understand, it's just there's never going to be a way to be able to detect or see anyway the light from the unobservable universe because that's just the way that it works. You'd think, you know, the speed of light, isn't it something, given the size of the universe, what an inefficiently slow thing it is. But those are just the physics. It's just how it is. There are some interesting... If you're ever interested about the unobservable universe, it's controversial and some people dismiss it, but it's fun to think about anyway. You find this stuff interesting, go look up Dark Flow. It's interesting anyway. Thank you for your question. So there's been a bit of a break in the recording. I'm back now, obviously. And this, I think, is going to be the final stretch. So, I always do these shows in multiple parts. And with this one, this has been recorded. It's been recorded over a while. It's been recorded over, you know, several weeks at this point in time. For the heck of it, because this is a mere... It's a curiosity on my end, as I kind of introduced this subject. Right now, I've ha- I have the show recorded, so over the last few weeks, I've recorded it in five separate parts, with this being the sixth part. And looking at the time... I thought, yeah, this is probably going to be the last part. I think so, anyway. So, I'm going to read what I can. And that's just going to be that. As far as the show goes. So. Let's open up the email once again. Let's get back to it. What's this? Email just came in. It's a spam one. You know, you get so many of these uh, spam messages that they always claim we're from this, we're that, we're the other company. And they say that they're seeking out a sponsorship deal. But you could just tell. It's It's not real. You always look... What they're doing is they're looking for your your financial information. That's what they really want in the end. And you could always tell when you look, you'll always see that email addresses end in uh, .cz. And you might say, oh, what if these are all just uh, Czech companies? <laughs> no, they're not. And it's it's a known it's a known issue. It's a known thing. But that's the dead giveaway. See, anything always says business offer or sponsorship offer. But I see those two letters, and I know right off the bat that it's a scam. All right. 
Let's open this back up. Andy is writing in. Have you ever heard of Radio Garden? Very cool, with a K, worldwide live radio stations on an interactive map. Uh, Indeed, radio.garden. Yeah, it's an interesting site. I've played around with it from time to time. It's a... It's an internet radio site, but it's cool. It sorts it out by location. So it's neat. You can listen to different online web streams of radio stations geographically. It's, it's, it, it could be fun. It's kind of like, you know, not quite, but it's like what the shortwave used to be. And, uh, like I said, it's all online stuff. I, I always like the analog sound to things, but it's still cool. Um, that you could just find things based off of, off of location like that. It's nice. It's a good, it's a fun site. It's fun to play around with. Thanks, Andy. Right, what the heck is that? Oh, it's because, okay, that's what it was. I heard this noise. I was trying to figure out all of a sudden where, where did it emanate from? I doubt it was picked up on the microphone, but I realized I had my headphones plugged in. And the, the radio.garden site started playing audio. So that's what it was. Now it's not anymore, obviously. This is an experience. It comes in from Justin. If you want to talk about bad restaurant experiences then look no further than this and i think this is uh, this is something else i mean just let the uh, let the experience speak for itself that is something unbelievable happened to me at my local dominos here in portage indiana i couldn't help but wonder if anything like this may have ever happened to you and to interject i'll just say this right now nothing to this extent has ever happened but I believe it. The way things are right now, I completely, I believe this. And I think things like this are going to get more and more um, widespread, sadly. I think this is like the tip of the iceberg. And it's unfortunate that this has happened to you, but I think that this is going to be more commonplace. And it's not just going to be with restaurants and stuff, but... So I think people should... Should, um... Take this as, uh, like you're looking into the future. So you write. My wife picked up two pizzas which were missing the sauce. This, of course, is an odd mistake, but not as odd as what would happen next. When she called the store and asked if they could deliver the correct pizzas, they immediately started a fake loud, condescending laugh. Uh, She handed the phone to me to hear it, and sure enough, the sound of a crew of three people were loudly mocking her and giving loud fake laughs. They refused to hang up, but also wouldn't respond to us. Fortunately, the call was recorded, When I called on my phone and said, Hello, my wife and I are listening to you guys making fun of her on the phone, 
And I was wondering why you think treating customers like this was acceptable. They yelled at me and hung up. Only two minutes later, I was in the store recording him with my phone. As when he hung up on me, I was already on my way there to confront him. He yelled at me and said, "You don't get a refund anymore," and called the police. He lied to the police, and when five officers showed up and heard why he called, they were not very understanding to his position. At the end, the officers told him to call his manager, since there wasn't one on site. And when he did, the manager immediately said, "Give them their refund so they can leave." You see, every customer that showed up, I informed them of the situation, why they called nine one one on me, and this made their manager want to settle the situation quickly. The employee said he would give us our refund, but only if we leave. I told him that would back, since that people tend not to stick around after a transaction is completed. He gave the refund, and today the manager in corporate refuses today to contact us back. So, that's the experience there. Certainly a, a very bad one. Unfortunately, you'd have people out there that would defend the、uh, behavior of the folks at the、uh, at the、uh, Domino's. A lot of people would, I think, if that was like a viral social media story. And it got posted to the Twitter cesspool. You would be amazed at how many people would try to justify the、uh, folks on、uh, on the side of Domino's. They would say, "Well, they're just you know service workers, and you don't understand, etc." But in the end, you know, you break down the situation. It goes and, and it shows how far things have fallen. How far. Things have、uh, degraded, you know, both in terms of the quality of everything,、um, human behavior, right, the product,、uh, lack of integrity, businesses large or small don't take pride in their work anymore, etc., etc., etc. And in the end, you know, you break it down. You ordered these pizzas, and、uh, obviously, you were given something of abysmal quality, so you called, and instead of The issue being rectified when it's very clearly their fault,、uh, they they laugh at you, they insult you guys, and it only gets worse from there. People at the Dominoes are idiots; they're complete and total idiots. But、uh, it's just a, it's it's a sad state of affairs. Sorry that you had to go through that.、Uh, we've got Luke. From Michigan. First, what do you think of the trend? <laughs> It's funny that this this email follows the other one. Isn't this something you might almost think, considering the last email? Hey, maybe this is a good idea after all. What do you think of the trend to replace fast food workers with automation? I see Amazon is working with the company that'll build robots to cook burgers, fries, wings, and more. And you send in a link, zdnet.com, and it's a yeah, 
it's an article about this, so thanks for linking that. Uh, you continue. I do a lot of hiring for my companies and talk to other hiring managers. And it's very hard to find staff even for the full-time office, warehouse, installers, etc. jobs. Uh, jobs with good benefits, pay, retirement, etc. I can only imagine what places like fast food are going through to find workers right now. One of my favorite restaurants just stopped offering dinner service because of staffing issues. How long do you think it will be until most major fast food restaurants spend big to replace most staff with robots, even more so than we do now? Second, do you think switching to robots will increase or decrease the quality of the food when it comes to fast food? So thank you, Luke. Um, you know, I'm kind of split with my opinion on this, and uh, I'll, I'll explain why I've kind of got two different, almost opposing views at the same time, because there's a split set of, of circumstances and rationale, and it's kind of like there's a fork in the road, right? So I'm I'm here and there's this divergence. So I kind of look at it if things go one way, then one viewpoint makes the most sense, and if things go the other way, then the other viewpoint makes the most sense. So the f the first path that I see is um my uh, opposition toward this. And I think, you know, we all get replaced by robots. Do you, does anyone out there listening seriously believe that if everyone gets replaced by robots, we're going to be in some sort of utopian society? It's not how it's going to work in the real world. It's, um, it's not going to be that way. A lot of the time, the folks who say replace everything with automation, when they're asked about the conundrum, well, what about, um, what about all the people that are going to be replaced by the robots? What of them? And they always give the, the same two answers. The first answer that they always say is, you still need people to supervise them. <laughs> yes, of course, but it's not going to be one-to-one -one anymore. There's going to be a few people that will be doing that still, but still a lot of folks are going to be out of a job. And then other people, they say, well, um, we're going to have all of these socialized programs and they're all going to be taken care of. Do you think that's actually going to happen in reality? <laughs> Ask yourself, do you think that's ever really going to happen? It might sound good, and it might be one of those what-if scenarios that you think, well, you know, if this happens, it could be this way. But one thing that you realize, I think, is that a lot of things that might be good ideas they don't work, number one, as we would intend for them to, or, um, it just wouldn't, it, it, it would not come to, uh, fruition 
in the way uh, we would expect or hope. Uh, humanity, I think, has a tendency to uh, let everyone down. So that's the thing. It seems like it's going to be something that's going to happen either way, but we're all going to be uh, woefully unprepared for it, and we're all going to get screwed over by it, whether um, you like it or not. So then I say, because of that, I think it would be better to just maintain the traditional view and just continue to hire real people and uh, do things that way. But then I get even more pessimistic, and this is the second path. I think about experiences like what that guy in the previous email mentioned. And if, you know, you think, looking at that Domino's, all right, what would have been better in that case? A robot making the pizza or that group of degenerates? And I would be willing to say probably a robot would do a better job. And, uh, those people, they're no good working there anyway. So why should I care if they get replaced by a robot or not, right? All that they do is make a bad product, and then they berate and demean the customers and are disrespectful toward other people, treat everyone like dirt. So... Why should you, and when you've got this happening more and more, and believe me, I see this, you know, with my own two eyes. Why should I sit here defending this? If we replace them all with robots, right, then we wouldn't have that problem. And then, you know, so what, right? If it's all going to go downhill anyway, then, uh, what does it matter in the end? So then I think, like, with situations like this, yeah, you're right. A lot of service, but there's always exceptions, you know? But a lot of service, not all, just a lot, is getting bad, and the corresponding product is getting bad. Maybe robots would be better. I don't know. In the end, I think it's going to happen either way. And I think what it's just going to come down to, it's just going to be when does replacing them all with robots, when does that become cheaper than paying a group of minimum wage uh, workers? And uh, I guess it'll get to that point eventually. Or uh, they might factor in costs, you know, long term. So then, then they'll make the switch. So I think it'll be an inevitability. But it might happen slower than you think, honestly. I don't know, the process of technology... It has been a bit slower than I thought. Like, I was thinking, like, back in 2014, early 2014, I was thinking about the early 2020s, you know, a few years down the line. 
And, uh, I don't know. I thought the technology, I didn't think it was going to advance that much, but I still thought it was going to be a little, uh, more advanced than it really is. So, you know, it might, it still might be a little ways away. But I think eventually, but it's just going to be a matter of when is it going to be cost? Because I think a lot of companies, um, I think they're all about these days. Like I said, it's not like how it used to be decades ago, which is how it, this is what we need to go back to. Um, back when it was all about quality and uh, integrity. And like I said, taking pride in the work. Uh, it, it's instead, how low can we go and still keep the cattle, i.e. the customers, that's how they think of them, coming back, you know? That's what it is. It's about absolute rock bottom. What's the cheapest we can be, and what's the lowest quality we could offer that's still going to make them come back? Because it's just about making money, and, um money at any cost, by any means. So that leads me to believe that eventually when the robots uh, replace the workers, it's going to be about cost. And though it should make sense that the quality should be improved and more consistent, it's not going to be. Because number one, you might have a robot that can offer that consistency, but it's still going to be using the same bottom-of-the-barrel trash for ingredients, so there's only so much you could even do to begin with. And you're just going to have ingredients of such poor quality that nothing's going to salvage it. A robot that does everything the same isn't going to salvage it. Gordon Ramsay running around in the kitchen isn't going to salvage it. Or uh, the fine crew working at that Domino's, they're not going to be able to salvage it either. So, it's just not going to really matter in the end. I just hope that the few places that aren't as corrupted as most of these companies are, those places, the few good ones left... I just hope that they'll keep things the way that they are and they'll continue to hire workers. They won't give in to the robot stuff. But I expect, you know, like the Burger Kings and the Taco Bells, etc. to uh, fully uh, go in headfirst. But I don't think it's going to lead to any improvement in quality. That's just my opinion. Thanks for writing. We've got Joel in Alabama, who says, I hope all is well. Been listening for a few years and enjoy the show. Was just wondering if you'd consider doing a Halloween-type show again. That was probably my favorite show that you did. I guess it was just really interesting to hear all the stories. So, uh, the first question. I'd say it depends, um... I can't make any guarantees, you know, we're just going to take it as it comes, go from one year to the next, and see. Um, maybe, maybe not, but uh, I will agree, though, no matter what, that was a fun show.
I remember when I initially did the Halloween program that I, ha I had the crown lengthening procedure that was done. The problem was that you had all these... I didn't really know what to expect from that. No one ever tells you, for some reason, what the recovery is going to be. I don't know. No one ever talks about it. So I didn't know. And I, uh, I didn't know that it was going to leave me down for the count and unable to talk for like a week. So... Resultantly, it was a tougher show to do than I intended, but it was still an enjoyable one. We're talking the 2020 Halloween program. So, there was that. Uh, so we'll just see. We'll see what 2022 has in store. I can't, like I said, make any guarantees, but I will submit that it was a fun show to do. I was wondering, what are your future goals for the show, and just in general, for what you will do in life? So, thank you, Joel, from Alabama. Uh, there aren't any. There are, there are no goals anymore. I've, uh... I don't know, just go one day to the next. <laughs> and that's gonna be that. Uh, I have no goals, though, for this show. Uh, nor have I any goals for anything else. You know, that's just it. Um, I, I haven't any. Just, uh, I guess take it all as it comes. Sleep when I sleep and wake up when I wake up. And proceed through life one day to the next as I have been. And we'll continue to. So that's where it stands in terms of goals. And it's just a different, uh, it's different for everyone. Some people say, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And for some that works, for others, it doesn't. It just comes down to the individual and really what, what, what process works best for you. Jared from Port Orange, Florida. SoundCloud listener, quick question. You've talked numerous amount, numerous times about meeting fans in public and being generous enough to sign an autograph here and there. What does it say? Um, I, don't, I don't even remember. Never, I never sign with my name. I know that. So really, it, anyone could easily fake it. That's why I don't really make a big deal out of it. I forget. I wish I could give you an answer, Jared, but I honestly don't remember. I just know it was not my name. It was either the report of the week or maybe it was review bra. Maybe it was both. I think what I would do, I'll just tell you what I would do these days if I were ever approached an autograph. I would oblige. I don't care. It's fine. I've got pens on me and all that good stuff. What, what is it to me? I'd be happy to. It's all good. I would, I think I would sign either the report of the week and then in parentheses review bra. 
or do it the other way around. I think I would include both, though. And that would be that. Because, you know, I don't want to throw my signature out there, nor do I want to, uh... Who, no one would even know what they're looking at in that case. So we would want something more uh, recognizable. And that just makes the most sense to me. I wish I could... T I, I bet it was something like that that I used to do. But I don't remember. I really don't. It's a good question, though. Thanks for writing in. A few more emails. Michael in Columbus, I suppose Ohio, I'd assume Ohio. First of all, I want to thank you for the years of the podcast. I'm wondering if you've heard the concept of neural nostalgia as it pertains to music and popular culture. I recently came across an article on the subject and found it quite fascinating. The basic premise is that the music you loved in your formative years... 12 to 20 years of age, is the music you will always love for your whole life. The magic year seems to be the age of 14, but it can vary. I myself have to admit that I will never grow tired of the music I loved when I was in that range. Other music I've loved as an adult comes and goes, but music from my magic era stays with me. It's a rock-solid part of me. Do you find this premise to be true in your personal experience? So thank you, Michael in Columbus. Checking in. Neural nostalgia. So what was the age range again? 12 to 20. So that would be late 2000s and through the 2010s early to mid-2010s. Yeah, you know, I'll say, yeah, absolutely, it does. I think the one thing, and you express this, I think some people listening might misinterpret it. If I interpret, and if I'm misinterpreting it, then my own understanding is flawed, so I submit uh, that right away. But I presume with the stated age range, we're not talking exclusively about the music that was popular during that span of time, but what we personally listened to. Because during that span of time, I really started getting into music from the 90s, the 80s. You could even start throwing in like 70s too. I did not really listen to the contemporary selections during that period, but I definitely started listening to music much more uh, from those eras. Rock, mind you, rock, alternative, uh, you name it. And that's still definitely, that's all that I listen to these days. So... The framework for that was laid out in that span. And that's still what I listen to at present. So in that regard, that's spot on. That's a true assessment in my case. If it is in regards to the music that was just popular then, then it's not true. Um, 
but it, it all depends. But certainly in my case, music-wise, it's interesting. Very interesting stuff. Thank you for writing in. This one, email that is, it reads as follows. It comes in from Dan. It's titled, Question. Want to hear your thought on this issue? I know that I'm a talented musician, and it's been validated by audiences, but still doesn't eliminate the fact that I loathe almost everything I create. I spend so much time making things and end up deleting it because I usually hate what I've done. It's bothersome because I want to share, but I can't deal with listening slash watching myself. Any thoughts or comments? So thank you, Dan, for your question. Oh, I'm right there uh, with you, although I'm obviously not a musician. I don't think I, I don't think I would say that, um, I still struggle to comprehend that any validation most validation, I would say. Not all, but a lot of it. I can't really... I have trouble discerning that it would actually be uh, legitimate and that it's not just, you know, some ironic stuff. But, you know, it doesn't really. It, it, it just is what it is. Putting any of that aside, I'm right there with you. Um, in terms of how you know, you might feel about your own work. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm right there with you. I can't stand listening or watching myself. And you think I'm a fan of anything that I create? Absolutely not. I hate listening to myself. So imagine this show is probably going to be a five-hour one. Here's one of the secrets as to why I also record this show in multiple shorter parts over the span of weeks, because there's no way I could bearably take listening to five freaking hours of my voice. You know, that would be horrible. So I just do it like a little bit here and there. I treat it like it's a poison. So, if I took the whole five-hour <laughs> dose of my content, I would, be, I would be ODing, metaphorically. So, instead, I've got to do it just a little bit here and a little bit there so I can tolerate it. But, yeah, my own... My, personally, I don't view my work in very high regard at all. I, uh, yeah. I guess the phrase... I guess there's a lot of truth to it, right? When uh, you say you are uh, your own harshest critic, right? I guess there is truth to it sometimes. It's not always true, but there's, there's definitely times where it is. Like I look at the last video that I did. There's so many things right off the bat that I can criticize. The thumbnail, what the hell is up with 
the uh, the thumbnail of that video, you know? I look at myself there. Number, I don't even like looking at myself. I have to look at this thumbnail just to analyze it, and I see myself staring back at me. I don't even like doing that. Um, forget it. I don't even want to do this. I'm not going to bother with criticizing the last video. I don't want to go there. Yeah, I don't even want to look at the page. I'm going to X out of that. I don't like watching my own videos. I don't like hearing my own voice. So isn't it kind of funny in a way that as a result, so I, I too um, loathe that. So what am I doing? I'm sitting here at a microphone talking for five hours and I upload videos of myself to YouTube. <laughs> oh, the irony in that is something else, isn't it? But it's just what I wound up doing. Now, the question then would obviously be that you're probably wondering, if you have such a harsh view toward your work, then um, what prevents you from deleting it, right? What prevents you from um, throwing in the towel, I guess? What I do, and it's it's one of those things that I just... I guess I adapted or adopted. Maybe both words work in this case. With time is the ability that somehow I'm able to uh, kind of block out those bad thoughts long enough so that I can get the job done. And I kind of counter them by saying all right, I feel this way about my work and about what I do. Nothing is going to change that. I don't even try, because I think it's a futile effort. So I say to myself, nothing is going to change how I feel about this content. However, I have to accept that this view that I have toward myself and my work is my view, right? You say to yourself, this is how I feel, okay? This is how I feel. And that's not changing. But other people, whether I believe it or not, by that I mean I know that people say what they say. It's just hard to believe that other people actually feel differently. And again, that's something I understand, I suppose, that folks do, but it's difficult to comprehend as to, as to why. So I say to myself, don't bother with the why. Just understand that for reasons I may not really get, for reasons that just don't make sense to me, there's folks out there that... feel differently. So you might feel like I'm doing people a disservice by uploading this or that or the other thing, right? I can't stand it, so how could anyone else? But somehow, who knows, maybe there's something wrong with me or maybe there's just something in the water, but other people feel differently. So just forget about all those thoughts do the job, just get the job done, just like, you know, I treat it like work. I say, all right, 
this is going to keep the lights on and this way I'm going to be able to pay my bills and uh, get groceries and food and I'm not going to starve or any of that. And if something happens to me and I decide to, uh, there's unplanned medical expenses or whatever, uh, then this will help me out in that regard. So this is your job and do what you got to do. And likewise, just remember that my thoughts may not be everyone else's. And though I may feel, again, using this particular show as an example, five hours of my talk, how can anyone withstand such punishment? I say, look, forget about that. That's how I see it. But other people don't see it that way. Don't dwell as to the why, just understand that that's how it is. And if people suddenly feel differently, you will be able to tell. And until then, uh, assume that this is merely the status quo, uh, that your thoughts are, I suppose, just what they are, that they are an outlier, just focus on the job. Treat it maybe like it's a, a poisonous substance. And consume or expose yourself thereby in low doses that could make it more tolerable, right? Uh, let's say you're working on a project. Instead of doing the whole thing at once, just work on it bit by bit. A little bit each day, a little bit here, a little bit there. And then finally, say, all right, look, how about this? To hell with it. I'm just going to upload this, and I'm just going to make it public. Guess what? If I were going to delete it anyway... Then how about I upload it? Let's see what the people say. And if they don't like it, then I'll delete it. Be the same outcome, and then at least I tested the waters, and that's going to be that. And then as a result, though, I know that the thoughts that I had then, maybe they had some legitimacy. Because sometimes we can be hard on ourselves. Sometimes, you know, some criticisms... Um, aren't without merit, but that's, you know, you got to be careful with that sort of stuff. I just know my mind can just run haywire sometimes and go, uh, go real off on myself. So I try not to say that everything I necessarily think about myself is always true. So it's just through this process, I try to uh, balance it all out. And, uh, like, I know this probably doesn't solve anything, this response. So it is what it is, but there have been times where I'll be sitting there on YouTube and I'll have a video and I'll think to myself, they're going to hate this one, aren't they? Because why wouldn't they, right? This video is going to be, well, like the Burger King review I did, this video is going to be a total failure. I looked at the Burger King review that I did on July 5th, a total failure of review. That's describing how I feel about the video right there in the title. There's a little bit of a play on words. I feel like that video is a total failure. And I thought to myself as I was, um, as I uploaded it and thought to myself, who the, who the bleep would, um, want to see this. I thought, this is this has to be one of the worst videos I've done lately. It's 
chopped up, edited up. I was pressed for time. Camera was running out of battery. I got the wrong item, and then I just sat there and essentially twiddled my thumbs around for like eight minutes. So, how could anyone look at that video and think this is uh, this is all right? Now, see, that's my mind telling me these things about my work in a uh, in a negative light. Doesn't mean those are true, you know, it's just what you think sometimes. So, before I made it public at first, there's always gonna be that, I think this with every single video I make, maybe I should just delete it, right? But, thought to myself, no, you know what? You go through this, because I've been through this a million times, so it's always, I always, at least I know how to wrangle it in and deal with it. I say to myself, no, just do what you do. Despite the protests, just release it and see what happens. And if it's as bad as you think that it is, monitor it for the first hour. And then if it's really, if your expectations are met and you think this killed my channel, then just delete it. Delete it after the first hour and it's gonna be like damage control and it's not gonna be the end of the world. And otherwise, those bad thoughts are going to get proven incorrect again, and we'll be back the next week for the next video, and we're going to go through the same process. So, just release it, see what happens. So I did, I released it. And then I was shocked, and this stuff, it never gets old, it always surprises me. I was shocked that in the first 24 hours of the last 10 videos that I did, it was one of my top performing videos. And I scratched my head and I thought, what the heck? I thought, no, how could that be? I thought of all the last 10 videos that I did, this had to be one of the worst that I did. How, how on earth did this get the best, one of the best performing ones analytically? So I scratched my head and I thought to myself, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. But I just shrugged and I said, well, I guess it just is what it is. On to the next we go then. So, my mind uh, can be harsh on me. And like I said, I can be my own harshest critic. But at the same time, while I cannot make the... I always wish the word criticistic... I wish that was a word, and I don't think it is. I wish I could, because it sounds cool, right? The criticizing thoughts. I wish I could say the criticistic thoughts. You know, that sounds cooler. But either way, make the uh, negative thoughts. I wish I could just make them go away, but there's no way to. And um, I just, I'd rather live with them than have any sort of intervening third party factors try to influence that. So it's something I'd rather just deal with it. But at the same time, I've got enough control that I realize, okay, I know that that's not how I see myself isn't how other people see it. So I say, I understand and I accept it. Doesn't mean I understand, like I said, the why, but I understand that this is just how things are. So sometimes I'll just say, it's just the way it is. I don't, maybe I don't get it. Maybe the reasoning goes over my head, but at the same time, I just understand that that is the way that it is. So that's how I, how I deal with it. 
Uh, good question, though. Something that I deal with. Wish you the best of luck, and I don't know, like I said, if that's any... if that's helpful in the least, but... Certainly, um... Happy to answer your question. Oh, look at this. We got an email who, uh... This came in zero minutes ago. This is... This came in right now. Talk about timing. Saved by the bell. Look at that. We're wrapping up the show. This is going to be the final... Squeezed in in the last second. Ellie writes in. So congratulations, you, uh... You got in at the last second. Good timing there. And... So... I haven't read... A word of this. So let's see. Questions for the podcast. See, as soon as I saw that pop up, I knew, wow, I'm at the, at, I'm at the microphone. I could just read this right now. All right, let's see what these questions are. Uh, okay, two questions. Question one. What are your thoughts on fizzy water? I know you're quite the water connoisseur. <laughs> consumer, not connoisseur. Quite the water consumer. And I've wondered if you've tried many fizzy waters. Uh, does the effervescence bother you? Yeah, I'm not a fan of fizzy water. You know, here's the interesting thing. Uh, my preference toward carbonated beverages has actually, in the last year, even in just the last year, I, I consume fewer and fewer carbonated beverages. And I suppose... I don't know. I just don't like the carbonation anymore. I like drinking smooth, pretty much flat drinks. So, like, the water that I have right here, and you could hear the ice cubes going around. Here, you could hear it. Right, there's some ice sound effects. We'll, we'll do that again. That's all the ice swirling around therein. It's just ice water. So, these days, I just drink water. Uh, I am a big coffee consumer for caffeine, so I drink coffee. Usually iced coffee, but sometimes hot coffee. But again, no carbonation found either. I don't really drink soda anymore. Even at this point, I don't get a drink with uh, many fast food meals. I usually omit the drink. Even if it comes with it, I say, why? I'm not going to drink it anymore. You know, if I get an option to get some water, sometimes I'll do that, but... You know, I just don't drink the sodas, really. I don't know. The carbonation is just such a, uh, such a turn-off for me at this point. I don't, I just don't go there anymore. So, I really don't drink the sodas anymore. I don't drink very many carbonated beverages. Like, I'll even give an example as to how it's been. So, I got with the Taco Bell review that I did, where I tried out that godforsaken thing. The, uh, 
Cantina Taco, which a lot of people missed the point of that review, I established a number of times that I like the item, and that the preparation is key, and that the one that I got was outstandingly bad, which makes it even worse when it's an item that you've liked in the past, and then they do such a horrible job. So, but people... It doesn't surprise me. People just are how they are, and I get it. There's always the chance for misinterpretation of things. Anyway, that's not even what I wanted to talk about. So in the video, along with that, I mentioned, I think I even showed, that I got this Baja Blast from Taco Bell. And, you know, it was all right, but I just don't drink this stuff like I used to. So after the camera was off, I probably wound up taking maybe like three more sips of it. And I felt bad because there was this big, large drink. But I don't know. I'm just not not a fan of carbonated drinks and sodas and all that stuff anymore. So I just didn't. Uh, I dumped it all down the, the, the sink, washed it out. And that's the fate of a lot of carbonated drinks that uh, come my way. Now, there's always going to be exceptions, but... No, it's just something that's really decreased. Like I said, I guess I just don't like the feeling. I don't know, it's just one of those changing tastes. Some people really like the carbonation, and I get it. But I don't know, for me, for some reason, it just, uh... It's really diminished greatly in appeal. In, in appeal. And on that matter, you ask about energy drinks, so in conjunction with that, I don't really drink very many energy drinks anymore. I usually... Sorry, I thought I heard something. I guess I wasn't. Um, I usually just go with coffee. Like I said, standard coffee, iced, or hot coffee, but usually iced. Or I'll go with caffeine pills. When I say that, there's always going to be the obligatory email or comment that's going to come in about them. I understand the risks, and I'm aware of that when I do it. So I'm already aware of that. And even so, I don't go to... I, I have one caffeine pill uh, usually each day. And that's that. But I already know. Believe me, I do. So. It's a conscious decision that um, is made on my part. Either way, you mentioned, I'm going to research this. Have you ever tried The Rocks energy drinks? I think they make for good reviews. So thank you for your email. The Rock. Dwayne Douglas Johnson, also known by his ring name, The Rock, American actor, businessman, and former professional wrestler with the WWE, and then he got into acting. The Rock energy drink. Soa. Energy. 
That's uh, it's not as gaudy as I thought it would be. <laughs> I thought I was going to be looking at this gaudy can with like a picture of him shirtless or something on it, but it's nicer than that, much nicer. You wouldn't really be able to uh wouldn't be able to tell. All right, what's the appeal? What's the catch? Why buy Zoa? Here we go. Immunity support, healthy energy sources, hydration, and focus boost. Now, mind you, you have all these drinks that they try to say, well, we're the best one because of this, this, and this. Now, let's see. All right. Strong antioxidants packed with vitamin C and powerful antioxidants to protect your cells and bolster your immune response. Clean caffeine. Caffeine from green tea and green unroasted coffee beans to give Soa the right kick of clean caffeine to keep you going. This is good. B1, B2, B6, and B12 vitamins therein. That's good. And it says we have branched chain amino acids to support muscle growth electrolytes keep you hydrated and support metabolism. Looks interesting anyway. I'll give credit where credit is due. I've never had this and it might be utter garbage. But you said you like it, so we've got that. It looks, um, looks better. What I thought. <laughs> but then I see this title. God, this sounds like something I would title the review. <laughs> if I didn't like it. I could see this being one of those algorithm-friendly titles I would use if the thing was horrible. <laughs> oh, God. The Rock's energy drink is a massive disappointment. <laughs> I don't know why I find it so funny. I guess it just reminds me of of how I would do the review if the thing was that bad. Uh-oh. We have a channel called Shredded Sports Science. I've never heard of the guy, but it looks like he does at least... He mostly does fitness stuff. Looks like he... Mostly he doesn't do reviews, he mostly critiques... Fitness posts. And, uh... So we've got that, but... Either way... He's not a fan of the drink. So he made a review. I don't know if he's actually trying it, though. I think he might be going off of other posts. So I don't know if it's actually a review. I don't see him actually drinking it. Maybe it's just a criticism of, like, what other people are saying. It looks like he rounds up posts. I think he's criticizing it maybe because of the health stuff. 
They all do it, though. I kind of... Doesn't matter. Every, every place does this. I don't really care in that regard. That, that doesn't really... It's not something I would criticize it over. It's just the way it is. And, um... Certain things really do have a positive effect, you know? Granted, if the thing is packed with so much... So many certain types of sugars, etc. Might not really be worth it, but there's certain... You know, vitamins and antioxidants, etc. That, that do have a good effect. I mean, they do help. It's not a cure-all. You know, you shouldn't sit there and say... Oh, well, I just drank... Uh, Zoa energy drink... And it cured my cancer or something, but you never know. I wouldn't really, I wouldn't ever take an energy drink personally as a, uh, as a health supplement, though. I say I'm just using it as a way to get caffeine into my system, and that's it. And now that I'm looking through the guy's channel, it seems like every review that he does is, um... I bet that's just his thing, though. I bet that's why people watch. That makes sense. Every review is more negative. But look, I mean, that's his shtick. And uh, clearly he's got a following doing that. How many subscribers does he have? 435,000. That's pretty solid. See, he's doing his thing. And I guess he's got a community. You know, they check in. As long as his criticisms are... Uh, as long as there's a basis there, too, then he's doing what he's doing. Maybe he's setting things straight, right? Maybe he's telling it like it is. But sometimes I think some of these things, even I'll say this about my own reviews, certain things are subjective. That's why my policy, when I do a review, and people have problems with this sometimes, but it's just the way I do things, and that's all that there is to it. I say, my policy with the channel is... Once the camera is on, I will review what's put in front of me, and that's it. So, like with the Taco Bell thing, that's what I got, so that's what I'm going to review. I just, that's how I base things off of. Otherwise, some people would say, no, I'm just going to not do the video, I'm going to go, and I'm just going to get it until I get a good one. But there's plenty of people that do that. It, that's just... I don't know. It doesn't feel right. So my methodology, and sometimes it makes for, I think, more authentic, like a like a more authentic fast food experience. And it's, uh, it sometimes makes for entertaining videos, is what I'm trying to say. Turn the camera on, I'll eat what's, or I'll review what's put in front of me. It doesn't mean I'll eat it, but I'll review it. So that's what I do. But... The titles, like I said, now he might just be doing this also to get reviews, but like this might be his, his thing, you know, people know him for doing rant videos, maybe. I just look at the uh, reviews that he's done. Like, what do we have? The supplement circus needs to stop. So I guess that was against supplements. Uh... Stop buying supplements. The worst fitness product ever made. This new muscle building supplement is pathetic. 
What else do we have? TikTok's energy drink zombies slash so-and-so's supplement nonsense. The Rock's energy drink is a massive disappointment. That's the one that I first saw. Fitness influencers make idiotic protein shakes. G Fuel energy drink is trash. The Rock's energy drink <laughs> just got worse. Uh, what else do we have? Logan Paul's hydration drink is garbage. I, all right, that's I'm convinced that is just his shtick. He's just gonna go and just and and he's just gonna try to uh, criticize. See, that's just what he does. That's that. Uh, because it's not like I just searched out all the negative ones. I just started scrolling up through his channel from a couple years ago, and I was just watching, or observing, I should say, I wasn't watching anything, observing the titles as I saw them. Now, if I were ever to try it, though, I'd say, look, this is going to be my assessment, and if it's good, it's good, and if it's not, it's not. But that, those videos have no bearing on uh, the product as far as I see it. I'm just going to try it out, and it's going to be what it is. Should I try it out one day? I'll have to do an energy drink review one of these days. Thanks for your email. Effie in southern Indiana. Hello. John, the report of the week. Review bra. Sage of the shortwave. Insert desired name and or title here. I currently have the coronavirus... And both your YouTube channel and podcast have made getting through it easier and have helped prevent me from going stir-crazy as I rest and uh, stay away, shut in in my room. I must say that while the food reviews are not necessarily my cup of tea, I enjoy the miscellaneous reviews or the ones where you delve into more serious topics, talk about what is on your mind, I think your perspective and viewpoints are very original and thought-provoking in a time where such things seem to be a bit less common, with people sort of just parroting what they hear from others, not exactly forming their own thoughts or opinions. I also think you seem to be a very genuine person, again, in a time where it seems to be less common. So two questions that you have. We'll go through them both. Question one. Since you live in Florida, I was wondering if you've had any experiences with what we might call the infamous Florida wildlife alligators and the like. So I'll talk about alligators for this one because Florida men are in a class of their own. You know, they just are what they are. But alligators, I've seen them. They are here. But it's not like... I think there's over a million alligators in the state. But it's not like you're going to walk three feet and trip over an alligator. No, it's not like that. But you'll see them if you know the right places to look. Most of the time, they are in water. Um, that's where you'll see them the most. So, not always a guarantee, but the highest likelihood of finding a gator in Florida is near a body of water, and it'll either be in the water, or uh, it'll be on the shores, 
especially taking in the sun. So that's the best. That's where you'll see them almost all the time. And I've seen many. You know, you go in the more rural areas, like the, the rural swamps, again, you're not guaranteed to see them, but with high likelihood you will. And you'll see them in the water. A lot of the time, you'll just see kind of the snout and the head, and it'll just be sticking above the surface, and you won't see the rest, but sometimes, especially some of the bigger gators, you'll see the, the back and the tail. And you'll see that. Sometimes, again, you'll see them on the shores. They'll be taking in the sun, or they'll just be sitting there. And that's about it. I always like looking for them if I'm, let's say, driving by body of water. Sometimes I'll take a quick gander and see what I see, because it's still amusing to me. And, uh... Yeah, I'll see them. But... They just kind of do their thing. A lot of the time with gators, they're not really interested in you unless you go to them. They don't really... Now, they might just seem as, like, very docile, languid creatures. However, you have to understand with gators, they conserve their energy. So you go up to them and you start messing around. They might seem pretty slow, but if they really want to get you, and you're pretty close, they could easily rush you, and you're not even going to know what hit you until that thing's already clamped down on you. So, best thing to do is just steer clear of them. Give them some space. Don't mess with them. Don't do anything stupid. And, uh, you leave them alone. With high likelihood, they'll leave you alone, too. So, that's just the way it goes. And, like I said, the gators, I think, th I think they give the state some of its uh, identity. So I don't really have a problem with them. A lot of the folks, again, who get attacked by them, they're kind of doing stupid stuff, and there needs to be... I, I, sometimes I think there's so much awareness already, they have the reputation that they do. You just have these people that are hell-bent on messing with them either way. And, uh, that's the thing. But, yeah, I'll see them again in the more rural areas. But I'll see them. There was one of those artificial, you know, man-made ponds and lakes. You see so many of those. There's one in front of a CVS, and there was a gator in that. It was a big one, too. I'll see them in some of the retention ponds on the side of the highways. I'll see them in canals. I've seen a gator... In the uh, lake in my backyard, it swam around there for a while and did its thing. And that was that. Uh, I've seen... One thing that you got to understand, though, you never, ever, ever, ever feed the gators. Do not feed the gators. You can't. You just don't feed them. Let them eat what they eat naturally and do not intervene under any circumstance. So otherwise, they're going to start seeing your house as a food source, and that's not good. That's how problems start. There was this one house I remember seeing. There were two gators that were just sitting there, and they weren't really sunning. They were just sitting there, 
right at the guy's back porch. And it, odds are that guy was probably feeding them, and they were just waiting for more food, and uh, that's a problem. So, I remember seeing that. That was a couple years ago. The closest I ever got to one was, well, the, there were two experiences. The first one is verifiable, and the second one is highly probable. So the second one, I couldn't really get a good view of, but there's only a certain amount of things. Um, the first one, it was always at night. That's where they're most active. I was taking a night walk, and there's this one area that was by a, uh, by a lake, and the sidewalk went past it, but the, um, there was a gator, I don't know, wasn't the closest. I mean, it was probably, I don't know, if I had to guess, maybe, like I said, maybe 50, 60 feet away. And it was out on the, uh, wasn't in the water, it was out of the water, but I looked at it, I kept it in my periphery. It was probably watching me. And that was that. It didn't come after me or anything, it just stayed put. I walked past, monitored it, and that was that. So it was of no, it hadn't any interest in me. So like I said, that was the one that I could definitely verify. Now, the second one would have been much closer, but like I say, highly probable, but I don't know for sure, because I couldn't see it. But you ask yourself, what else could it have been? And this was actually in that same area. It was on a separate night, but it was the same area. So it's already established that there are gators there. Right, so that we know for sure, that there are already alligators there. So with that knowledge, I was in... Wasn't that exact area, though. It wasn't that same body of water. It was about, I don't know, maybe a third of a mile away. And I was walking on this path, much closer to the water. And it was a lit path. I mean, man-made and everything. It wasn't a boardwalk, but it was like a little small paved path. Um, walking, essentially, the perimeter of the lake... And then it kind of continues into the woods a bit, like a little man-made, developed trail. And it was lit. It had little lights and some benches. It was obviously well-maintained. And I was going for a walk. It was around 3 a.m. So no one else was there. And I was walking. And uh, I was in this area where there was some low brush. So this is where there's that... I don't know for sure. Maybe it wasn't one, maybe it was. I don't know. I still don't know. I never will. There was this low brush, but things could kind of be hiding under it. So there was this low brush to my left, about three feet of it, and then beyond that three feet to my left was the uh, water. So there's that brush at essentially what would consist of the shoreline and then the water. 
So if something, something could have been there at the shoreline, and it would be obscured by the brush. And I walked by, and something uh, sprung into action, into motion, but it, it didn't come toward me. It went the other way. And that's the other thing. Some gators, um, if they're taken by surprise, they will usually run the other way. Because they're just as surprised as you are. But something definitely sizable. You could tell it was sizable by the sound it made. And it was in that underlying brush. And it was surprised by my going by, by my passage, that it took off, dived. It's like it charged from that low brush into the water and disappeared under the surface, and I couldn't, or at least I couldn't see what it was. You could tell by the ripples that something moved in there, but I don't know what it was. So, I don't know, that might not have been a gator, that could have been a snake, because there are also snakes in that area. And we know that snakes can be in the water, too. If I had to guess, though, just based on its swiftness and abilities with the water navigating it, I should say. It was likely either a snake, probably a decent-sized snake, or an alligator. I don't know. Either way, that was that. Nothing further to report. That was just... didn't really have a payoff. I never saw what it was. So... There you have it. Your second question on the subject of wildlife, you say, quote, Personally, I think a lot about the relationships between humans and wildlife, particularly wild animals, and humans and wild animals coexisting or perhaps being unable to coexist alongside one another. In particular, I think of things such as claims of wild animals uh, taking over residential areas or other ideas like that, when really humans have taken, over time, uh, more and more of their habitats, leaving animals with few places to go. Uh, for example, something that has become an issue where I live, southern Indiana, a situation has been arising with black vultures, causing farmers to lose significant numbers of their livestock, particularly young or frail cows or pigs, as black vultures actually will sometimes kill animals rather than just scavenging. And in response, farmers have been allowed to apply for permits to kill or remove a certain number of vultures from their land. I was wondering if you feel that it's possible for humans and animals to peacefully exist alongside one another, or if you think that we'll constantly be in competition. Uh, I suspect the latter. Uh, the former sounds good, but I don't think it's just—I don't think it's practicable in many cases. I would actually go further and uh, and elaborate on my response. There's certain... it actually just depends on 
the species we're talking about. There are many animals that we can coexist and either have a neutral relationship with, where there's really no benefit either way, or it could even be a uh, symbiotic relationship. And it could even be beneficial. But there are other cases where either because of how people are or, yeah, because of sometimes how the animals are because they don't know any better, uh, that it's just not going to be that way. And then you also have invasive species, etc. So, it's, uh, it just depends. There's certain, I don't think it's one of those things that you can give a blanket answer for either way. So I would say most of the time, no. But there are times where it would be more of a yes. But it really depends on the circumstance. And it's a case-by-case basis. Where, um... It just depends on the circumstances. And that's how it's going to be. It's just going to be different from one species to the next. I think of a lot of the birds that I see, and they're fine. They don't cause anyone any problems. I like having them around. And that works out great. I think in South Florida, you have the iguanas there that are invasive. They harm the local wildlife. The iguanas aren't even supposed to be there naturally. They harm the local wildlife. They outcompete the local wildlife and have detriment to the ecosystem in that regard. They destroy habitats and they also a lot of their burrowing, etc., uh, destroys human infrastructure. So they really have a negative impact on the uh, the entire environment, both on humans and wildlife alike. And that's why the state of Florida says, if you see an iguana, especially in South Florida, and you can humanely dispose of it, then kill it. And, uh, and that'll be that. Because you're actually doing the entire area a favor. And the local wildlife even, forgetting about people. The local wildlife, they, they won't have the capacity to do so, but they'll be thanking you uh, for doing this. And it might sound harsh, but when you see uh, what many of the iguanas do otherwise... You know, it's just the only thing you could really do at that point. In cases like that, it's all about humanely taking care of them. And, uh, if you gotta kill it, ensure that its death is swift. You know, don't torture the thing or anything. Or there was some guy who said... Who, who beat up an iguana and got charged with animal cruelty. And he tried to use the state's stand-your-ground self-defense law uh, for his case. And he said, no, 
I wasn't abusing the iguana. I was defending myself because it came at me, so I had to use the stand your ground law. But what dismissed his argument was, this is one of those stories, you know, someone, there were a couple witnesses who saw that he was in a uh, boxing pose with his fists up and was dancing around the iguana to begin the encounter, so obviously he was instigating a conflict there and uh, not the other way around, so there wasn't, you couldn't use a self-defense um, you couldn't use the stand your ground law in that case. That's just stupid, you know, the guy's just an idiot doing that. So... That's, you know, don't do that. Sometimes, and there's a lot of truth to this, you do see this, if the temperature drops below a certain point in the winter, this might happen like once or twice a year, uh, the iguanas will freeze, or they'll become... They don't die. They're just frozen in place. And you ever hear in the news, it's raining iguanas, they'll drop from the trees. And they'll just be solid. It's like they're a block of, of ice. It's just frozen, still iguana. But they're still alive. So if you brought it inside and thawed it out, um, it'll start crawling around and it'll be back to its usual self. So a lot of the time... People who, let's say, professionally uh, hunt the iguanas for the betterment of their community and environs, they love those days, and then they'll go out and they'll just round them up, you know, and that way you can get the most for minimal effort. Interesting subjects. Thank you for writing in. And with that, dear listeners, that's all that I have for you in today's podcast. This was the longest one I've ever done. So thank you for bearing with me here. If you enjoyed the show, you want to support it, remember, uh, listen in to the shortwave broadcast to Europe, if you're over there, 96.70 kilohertz, 7 p.m. Eastern European Summer Time, that's 5 p.m. British Summer Time, every Friday. If you have a question or comment for the show, uh, write me, v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. You want to support this program and the broadcast financially, consider a donation via PayPal to V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com so you could hear more of it. Thank you for listening, and that's all that I have. Until next time, be safe, be healthy, and I wish you all the very best. Take care. This is V-O-R-W.